0: I am the brain. I am Lieutenant Kiff Croker. I am Morbo, the newscaster. I am Toucan Sam, falling on elves. And I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. Podcast.
1: Podcast. Podcast.
2: podcast. podcast. Oh! It's a show.
1: It's a show. Audio only, though. What
0: is it about? If you have time, I
1: can tell you that it is a podcast about that many men and time. What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! (laughs) I am a podcast.
2: Oh! Hey! Interviews with fans and evil
0: people who... On the show
2: Podcast. 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 Happy 2016 and welcome to a brand new year of Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host Justin Michael and no matter when you actually hear this episode down the line, you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, the Ace Chemical Plant. We're not just creating toxic chemicals that kill people, we're creating people who kill people. Now I'm kicking off the new year with some great interviews about a great episode, a largely Batman-less episode of Batman written by Paul Dini called The Man Who Killed Batman. I don't know why I'm talking like a public radio guy or news reporter in which I fall into a speech pattern that normal people don't fall into. Anyway, later on, I'll be sitting down with veteran VO superstar and hell of a nice guy, Maurice LaMarche, a.k.a. The Brain from Pinky and the Brain, and 99% of your favorite cartoons ever, to talk about his career in acting and voiceover and comedy, and of course, his seminal role in this episode as Murphy, a.k.a. Thug Number 3 to the Joker. But first, I'll chat with author and comedian DC Pearson after he watches Batman the Animated Series for the first time since childhood. But before we do any of that, let's kick things off like we always do by reminding you what happened in.
1: Today's episode The Man Who Killed Batman.
2: Sidney Debris, a fourth-rate mobster, earns the fame and hatred of Batman's enemies when he claims to have accidentally killed the Dark Knight during a rooftop brawl. Sidney goes to crime boss Rupert Thorne for help to share his tale of being on top, going to prison, and being targeted by the Joker. Original air date, February 1st, 1993. Written by Paul Dini, directed by Bruce Timm, music by Shirley Walker with animation by Sunrise. Featuring guest voices Matt Frewer as Sidney, aka Sid the Squid, Mark Hamill as the Joker, Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, John Vernon as Rupert Thorne, and Maurice LaMarche as the Joker's Goon Murphy. This is a fan-favorite episode of the series, and it's the series at its best. Dark, funny, and rich in fleshing out Gotham's supporting cast, from the mobsters to the cops. I mean, is it any surprise that Paul Dini wrote it and Bruce Timm, co-creator of the series, directed it? It's incredibly well-boarded and directed. The visuals put us in the shoes of Nebishy Woody Allen wannabe gangster Sydney with lots of high angles and creeping shadows that make us feel small and unsure. The central conceit of the episode is pretty fun, and despite some clunky war-on-drugs dialogue, it really holds up when you consider Batman is rarely a part of the action. The music, I think, is particularly great, ranging from the deathly chamber organ to the hopeful and meandering theme that accompanies Sydney and underlines that things might just turn out alright. Well, of course they will. This is a children's show called Batman the Animated Series, so there's gotta be a Batman at the end of that series, but it's still a fun departure from the norm. Okay, let's move into that first interview.
1: Today's fan dc pearson
2: dc is the author of two novels the boy who couldn't sleep and never had to as well as crap kingdom both are available wherever fine books are sold he's also a member of the sketch comedy group Derek, and he's just a funny and nice human and friend in his own right hell you can even see him make an appearance as the apple store employee who interacts with captain america and black widow in winter soldier you nerds but enough about dc let's talk to dc DC Pearson,
1: how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I was—we just watched the episode right in this moment, mm-hmm. and it was great. I loved it. I haven't seen the show since I was a kid. I watched a decent amount of the show on TV, and then I had the Batman: Mask of the Phantasm movie on VHS. Do you and have like that a clam really shell? big clamshell, exactly. That's that was my first association with it. Was just like that giant case that made that super satisfying. Like that VHS case material was alternately like the cheapest feeling, but like the coolest feeling like thing a in the puffy world. Crunch. Yeah, feeling. exactly. It's, it's, puffy crunch. Puffy exactly. crunch. It sounds like a great case. Sounds like a or a J-pop band. But <laughs> oh, yeah, I love puffy crunch uh, and glitter baby. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I watched that quite a bit, and I. Had a, I think every, or I, th- I shouldn't generalize that to that degree, but I think a lot of people, even if they hadn't seen it when, since they were kids, like you have a very positive association with your head or in your head with, there are certain things that you remember from when you're a kid and you're like, I bet if you go back and watch that, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. And with this, I was, I was, I, my association with it was like, I'll bet you that's really good just because you remember the design being really cool and, um, I was very thrilled to discover that it totally held up.
2: Yeah, I didn't realize that for some reason I had forgotten that you hadn't seen it since you were a kid. So what a treat. Oh, yeah, to absolutely. And watch it. This is my dream is like just to hang out in my living room right. and watch a Batman episode <laughs> with a friend. Especially like... I don't know about you. I'm like, I think this is what keeps me like very childlike because <laughs> I still like this stuff. Right. Uh, but it's like, I really like like showing people things. Sure. Uh, there's totally. Like, it's like, oh, this is exciting.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You get to like and watch their reaction, especially something you hope or know that. They yeah.
2: I didn't to take my eyes off of you enjoy. the yeah. entire time. It was really
1: disconcerting. Yeah. I think I enjoyed the show more for it because it was a break from the holes that you were burning into the side of my
2: Okay. House. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, maybe I should get over, uh, And now
1: it's weird. He's not looking at me at all that we're recording. He's <laughs> facing, facing the corner the Blair Witch, broad, end of Blair Witch style.
2: Yeah. Uh, cool wall. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: they, they don't know the geography of this
2: room. <laughs> You're just gonna have to buy it. Uh, yeah. So, you watched Mask of the Phantasm a bunch, but not the TV show.
1: I did watch the TV show a decent amount when it was on TV, but mm-hmm. I didn't, like, own any of it. Were there
2: him, any Clayface. episodes that stood out to you that you vaguely remember um, as favorites? I
1: really m- remember. I want to say is the is the mud guy clay? Is he Clayface or yep. is Clayface a different guy? I remember Clayface uh, quite a bit. I remember thinking the design of him was pretty cool. I remember Harley Quinn a little bit from the show, but then also just from she sort of culturally has gone on to have this like second life. And was she from the show originally? Yeah, she originated originated the show. on the show. I thought I, I thought. I was aware of that, but it's cool. It's like part and parcel with the whole kind of like art deco-y like throwback feel of the show, which is such an interesting, cool way to make a TV show for kids is like rather than have it be like Batman in like the gritty modern day real world. Like you wouldn't think, oh, let's put him in this kind of art deco feeling like, you know, quasi past, but it's kind of smart actually because it makes everything feel a little more fantastical or something it's not like Batman is literally I don't know like it, it's not like a grittier modern Batman it doesn't yeah
2: there's a timelessness to
1: exactly it. it feels dark because of the trappings of it like they feel very dark and very film noir but it doesn't feel too like okay this is the one where Batman's gonna like fight like you know child sexual abuse or something
2: no that's Batman I guess uh, comic book 80s Batman
1: <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah, yeah I can imagine it Feeling like I, I definitely read Batman comics as a kid, um, and and I mean I guess this is around the same time as they're like having Batman be crippled by Bane oh, yeah. in the comics, right?
2: Yeah, I think this was like around Nightfall.
1: Right, so it's kind of an interesting counterpoint to well, that. I,
2: I wonder how much of the Art Deco was influenced by like the the Burton Batman. Sure, I think sure, sure. Came out and I think it had some right. like, Burton's like Gotham had yeah, some Dicko elements. Definitely,
1: I think so. I but think so.
2: It's also it feels pushed in a way that I like even more. Oh, totally. Here. Uh, right. That's like also. I think they were really influenced by the old Superman cartoons. So like, the, sure, 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 sure. The original ones, right? That, and those were like of fleischer
1: fleischer they yes. were like of the so 30s and 40s <laughs> yeah yeah those are really amazing if people have not I've, I've never watched them all the way through but just like little the little snippets of it you see they're so beautiful
2: they're inside i remember I, we watched them in like a film class in college which i was like my lucky day right <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't have to watch international cinema for a right, day right uh
1: which there's take great- a seat bicycle <laughs> thief
2: uh step up superman i don't know we'll punch that up in post (laughs) great 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 i have a group i'll stick around oh awesome hey guys (laughs) oh honestly yeah they're right over there on the couch building out the geography of the room slowly by the end of the podcast (laughs) this is
1: really the theater of the mind uh but i feel like
2: uh we watched that and i remember this was like a class that leonard malton was guest teaching which was a very weird class he just kind of popped by and did he teach every
1: week or this, he it did, was this week. He
2: did teach every week. Wow, that's really cool. But it was really like cool. known as the easy class because you would just get to see movies before they came out. Oh, uh, sweet. So he
1: would just like do like screenings almost. Exactly. He anything screenings, cool that you got, got to see in advance?
2: Yeah, we got to, I got to see Little Children. That okay. Drama, yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah, real sure. sad. Sure. Um, we, man, I'm trying to think. There wasn't anything. The Prestige, I think, was a. that That's really that cool. Time? So did you get
1: to see Nolan... No, he
2: wasn't the there. I don't remember who came for the prestige. Not somebody I was that excited about, uh, but probably would be now.
1: I don't know what this is about uh, my relationship, but I just remembered that Little Children is a movie that my girlfriend and I persistently are like, oh, we gotta watch Little Children. We keep forgetting.
2: Have you never seen I it? I haven't. I've you? never seen
1: it. I read the book. It's a Tom based on a Tom Parada uh-huh. novel that's very good. Very, like, disturbing, and but kind of, like, I don't know, weirdly... I don't know. It's great. It's really good, but I was like... That's weird that we continually like we're like oh we gotta watch little children <laughs> we gotta watch that really depressing movie <laughs> we keep where uh, you have well, a fun date night ah uh,
2: you know let's sit in and really bask in mm-hmm. the familiar sorrows sure, sure, sure. uh, he oh so anyway Malton this is like right. not even exciting at this point Malton would sometimes show shorts beforehand right. which is so fun and he was he just talked about how expensive those Superman cartoons were which they poured so much money into them. Uh, which is why they still look really good.
1: Oh, they look incredible.
2: I mean, the animation's like leagues better than most well, other things Well, that's like...
1: Yeah, that kind of tells you something. It, it's, it's like a, a lesson to take away from... You definitely know more about it than I do, but it seems like from early animation, like the Superman cartoons or... Which I didn't know they were expensive, but it makes sense that they were because they are very beautiful. Or like, you know, Snow White or something like that, right. which is like... You take something that no one else puts time and effort into, and you just put a lot more time and effort into it, and it actually turns out really, really good. Yeah. Uh, not all the time, obviously. You could be putting time and effort into the wrong direction, but like that's a really cool way to make great art. I feel like is like just take something and everybody's like, "Well, it's a cartoon. Who gives a shit?" Fucking you know, take <laughs> two hours, sketch it out. It's a flip. It's basically a flip book on the screen. So you just swallowed a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine um but don't like and 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 like everybody thought Walt Disney was crazy right for making Snow White for making like a feature cartoon and like act, make just taking the time to make it like so incredibly beautiful yeah, he sunk everything beautiful. into
2: that which was kind of crazy because I think he was pretty successful at that totally. point but they were like a feature film nobody will sit through a feature right. film of a cartoon
1: yeah uh, he bet on himself
2: and then they saw Dopey and they thought he was hilarious <laughs> That goofball who barely talked. <laughs> Didn't at all, maybe.
1: Just have seven comedic sidekicks. That's the lesson.
2: Yeah, I think Batman could use seven comedic sidekicks. I guess he kind of does by the end of like, you know, some comics run.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, there's um I haven't I I went through a little bit of a re Batman like reup in uh, a couple years ago where I read a bunch of the Grant Morrison Batman. There's like a really cool run of those that I heard, about, or I, I heard Matthew Robinson talk about on the, another podcast. Get up on this, and then he posted a, a sort of an omnibus on his website that he, where he was like, "If you if you're interested in reading this run of Batman, here's all of the things to get, in. here's like because here, it's kind of confusing the order, and it's like a it's really cool. Basically, it starts with they they published like a or basically the conceit of um, this run of Batman is that. All of the things that happened to Batman in, like, 30s Batman comics, which are insane. Like, there's just a lot more, like, weird alien rays and stuff like that. And he's going to other planets. And he's just way more of a catch-all character Mm -hmm. than he is, like, specifically... I also don't know if it was the 30s. I could totally have that time wrong. But, like, really early Batman comics, where they hadn't quite dialed in a lot of the Batman tropes that we know today. He was, like, all of those... They all take they, that. All happened. All of those old comics happened to modern Batman as you know him in the course of like a year. And as a result, he's insane. Like he is a. It's it, all those things occurred, and he basically develops a like split personality Batman. Was this the
2: Batman like Zura? Yeah, Zenura. Yeah, exactly. So like purple, that and Exactly. And, yeah. That he's sort of
1: developed almost as like a Tyler Durden. To his, you know, psyche. I, I read this
2: run and, like, it washed over me like some sort of fever dream.
1: It's insane, but it's great. It's really, really cool. And just taking that, and that also, I think, is such an essential thing about, obviously, as we have these things that are, like, 80, now, you know, 100-year, like, myths. Like, taking something that's really old from it and sort of updating it to be new. So, sort of, in that Grant Morrison run, like, taking, like, these really, really old things and rather than going, they're silly, they're super stupid whatever here's my new thing batman has a twitter or whatever you (laughs) know like taking the really really old stuff and just like recontextualizing it in a new cool way i thought was so great and then i got to the very beginning of i want to say it's like all-star batman or whatever he had like he sort of had a thing that like it culminated and then he sort of like and then it like picked up and and i think it was starting to get more into the like damian wayne type stuff and that's where i sort of i i i was enjoying it, but I, I sort of fell off of it and I'm like, eager to get back to it. So that's sort of my modern experience with Batman. I don't remember how that related to exactly what we were talking about earlier. I think that's where Batman. I
2: fell off. Uh, I think it was from a bit spiraled right. into a real conversation, right. like oh, most I podcasts th- do. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think so. Well, I think, like, I guess maybe just the thing of like that, that the aesthetics of Batman, I think what I really liked about that Grant Morrison stuff is that it didn't. It felt, it had this sort of like, oh, I hate to use the word gritty, it's so overused, but like, it had a very sort of like modern, grungy Batman aesthetic, but then it was taking these old, fun, colorful things and like bringing them into that. And it wasn't, it didn't feel inconsistent. It didn't feel sort of monochromatic the way sometimes when you have a modern, like quote unquote gritty thing, it can sometimes feel just like, eh, this is just gray.
2: Yeah, I like that he accepted the history, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to ignore this." Totally, yeah. I'm going to totally. give my own insane take. Right, on right, this, right, exactly.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, that like basically, anytime Batman had like nerve to- nerve toxins or anything sprayed on him, like it really did happen, and he just went. He eventually went are crazy. It's crazy. Uh, I
2: didn't. I think I dropped off at Batman Incorporated, mm. which was like his final, like the the final act gotcha, of his run. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. I don't think I got to that one either.
2: Uh, well, there's still time.
1: Great. <laughs> Batman goes on Shark Tank. Uh, what for? Batman Incorporated. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that a real thing? Oh, Hi, sharks. Uh,
2: I feel like that is a thing that would happen in the shitty version of like Batman's got Twitter now because <laughs> <laughs> that is an updating thing. Millennial you know? Batman. <laughs> Nobody want, ever wants that, but I feel like dumb execs uh that's like just a generalization but right. dumb execs are always right. pointing to like gotta update it refresh it but there are so many smarter ways to do it and you look at like grant morrison doing totally. that, or you know even like i don't know if you ever watched batman beyond
1: i never did I, I am aware of it that people love it and i'm sure it I is really actually did. really right. good
2: because i think a lot of people like we're like well because it's is like
1: future batman right? exactly
2: like future batman and he's a teenager but it's not the same batman right but, they took an idea that could be really stupid. Totally. And they were like, no, we're going to create a whole new universe and tie it to this other show. Oh,
1: yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's It's kind of the Snow White thing again. It's like you take anything that anyone on the face of it would be like, that sounds lame. Like, who cares? Batman in the future, that's going to be so dumb. And just like treat it with a bunch of time and care and attention. And it turns out, it, or it can again, turn out really yeah.
2: great. You just try.
1: Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, yeah, exactly. Like, don't. Take things at face value or be like, that's going to automatically be bad. Like, it doesn't have to be.
2: It well, doesn't I'm have to be. Move on to things that are good. Sure. Uh, so the man who killed Batman, which we just watched together. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? Just initial overall thoughts.
1: I loved it. It was funny. I was thinking, um, I, even as it was opening, like, maybe just because of the darkness and the sort of, like, film noir-y quality to it. Excuse me, and the sort of dramatic, like Dutch angles and stuff like that. Like I was like, oh, this like really. I think also too, partially because of. Um, uh, oh, I should just say what it made me think of before I get back to why it might have made me think of that. But like Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. right? Like, and some going into somebody's mansion and, and the whole thing. And then it was funny that then it turned into a... Not exactly Citizen Kane style, but like sort of Kane style narrative where somebody's like... "You're it's, The entire thing is told through like stories, like flashbacks. Like, oh, then yeah. this happened. And then I thought it was good, but then it was bad. And then it flashes back to like that part of the story. Um, I thought that was really cool. And it did... I think maybe part of what made me think of it was Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. You know, I haven't read it. The Michael Chabon novel. I re- it's interesting. It's tough with things where... I love it, by the way. I should say that I didn't mean the book is interesting. It is interesting, among other things. It's great. I meant like it's interesting when because I my immediate response to say was like if you love animation and comics, you would love The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. But I feel like there's always a weird onus that gets put on you when somebody's like, oh, if you love X thing, you would love Y thing. Like maybe you wouldn't, but I really suspect that you would because it think is I really that people have told me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um.
2: Like a Superman-y, like, Siegel and Schuster kind of characters in it?
1: They're they're analogs, exactly. They're they're analogs of Siegel and Schuster. So it's a kid who lives in, like, I think, like, Brooklyn or something in the 20s, 30s. Um, And his cousin, who's, like, I think, like, fleeing the Nazis, comes to his immigrant cousin comes to stay with him. Mm -hmm. And they they end up developing a, like, yeah, basically a Superman analog. Even though, I think it maybe even takes place in a world where Superman also exists. Um, And it's... Great. I haven't read it in a while, but the, a big without it's without. I don't think it really spoils anything to say a sort of turn in the book is when Citizen Kane comes out, and they go and see it, and like everyone in the comics world is like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" And they start cribbing ideas from Citizen Kane of like camera angles and storytelling devices, and this really this episode ultimately reminded reminding me of like that aspect of what they were talking about because you do feel like uh, from uh, from like it was like comics I read when I was a kid and whatever. One of the neat things about comics was that because of this continuing story of this character, sometimes you can break out and almost tell a story about that character from like somebody else's perspective yeah. or do weird, fun things like that. And it was neat to see that this episode was like one of those that they could actually take the time to just do that, which is like a silly, fun, weird, kind of almost Twilight zone like, you know, twist ending sort of, not twist ending, but like episode of of a thing that wasn't just like, Here's Batman punching a guy.
2: Yeah, I think it started based on my internet research. <laughs> which is 100% accurate, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, Bruce Timm, one of the co-creators of the show, and like Paul Dini, who mm. wrote the episode, right. I think they were talking about... Uh, they were seeing how far they could push an episode where Batman is limited to not showing up. Right. And so I think it was like some sort of challenge. <laughs> and Dini was like, okay, right. I'll write this. <laughs> uh, That's he, awesome. He's amazing. I feel like his episodes are for the most part some of the right. best in the series and this one is like kind of no different it's right. just funny and kind of an oddball story
1: <laughs> so good yeah it it um i guess it helps that like batman is obviously looming over the whole thing yes. like he's the first thing you see is like an image of, like the man who killed batman and also like you do have that i think it also helps that you have the overarching question of like who killed batman <laughs> what batman's dead i didn't know that like you know he's not dead cuz you're watching a show called batman the animated series and it's mm-hmm. for kids but there is still that thing of like, wait, what happened? What like, and then his that cowl is like present throughout the episode. Obviously, is like a visual Reminder. motif. Of Batman, and then there is also that effect of like, then when he does show up, you're like,
2: "Yeah, this is awesome! <laughs> he's back! He's back! He's Batman! This is great! He didn't blow up! Oh, phew! I <laughs> thought he blew up for sure." <laughs> I I loved this. Uh, I I love the direction in this one, and I, it was like one of the few that was directed by Bruce Tim. Oh, awesome! Uh, and I feel like he's got he's he's a good. He's an amazing like storyboard artist when he decides to step in, but this one felt like particularly cinematic. Like, oh I feel yeah, like those shots of the propane tank in the beginning with mm-hmm. like the shadowed feet running. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then- or the shadow, you know, like their silhouettes and then you see the feet in the foreground right. and then like setting up, you know, he trips, you know, right. it was like all very good visual, simple storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, the propane take is important. Right. Uh, which is like, you know, obvious now, but right. it's one of those things where I was like, you did a really good job totally. of simply laying the groundwork in a very oh. easy way. Oh,
1: absolutely. And it's again, it's like you don't have to do that because it's a kid's cartoon and no one will yell at you if you don't have things like that. You're just doing it like because it's good. Like, yeah, for the I mean, love of it.
2: This is just, like, years, a few years after, like, He-Man and, like, that limited bullshit oh, totally. animation.
1: Yeah. Right, and then, then you have that, I think, like, the modern analog of it now. I can't, some uh, some kid who's growing up now will obviously be able to speak on it better, but, like, it really does feel like if you ever come across just, like, some kid's cartoon that's, like, really terrible CGI, Ugh. like, that's got to be the modern analog of, like, the sort of Hanna-Barbera, like, repeated background kind of, like, no one gives just recycling a shit. everything totally exactly. and it's,
2: it's a, such a bummer to see that kind right. of animation cuz it's like oh this is cuz it's really cheap but right. it looks so bad
1: yeah exactly and i'm sure like i'm sure things will emerge and probably already have that i'm not even aware of cuz i don't watch that many kids cartoons anymore but that are using that but to beautiful effect as mm-hmm. opposed to just sort of like like this was this felt like it probably didn't i don't i could be wrong you tell me but like Probably didn't cost them that much more than a no, another another kids' cartoon of the time. Would you say it was like? I think it was like particularly expensive.
2: I think it was a little bit more expensive. I I don't know the budgets honestly, but I know that they sunk a lot of money into like painting backgrounds and like hiring. That makes sense. They had like a full orchestra. Oh whoa, that's awesome! Which is like rare, right? Uh, But you know, I think it was also like they had more money to spend overall. Like that whole like Warner Brothers. I think it was like the Silver Age of cartoons, right? Uh, or I don't know if I think Silver is that Age like
1: Animaniacs, and, exactly, and like stuff Thinking like that. And the Brain, oh, that's Animaniacs, awesome! Sure, sure, sure. You know, well, Pinky and the Brain was pretty dramatically directed. I feel like, oh yeah, I and mean, Animaniacs. I don't. I know it was good in terms of like genre parody, or at least I remember it being that way. But like, but Pinky and the Brain, I remember being very dramatic. I mean, that whole talk about Citizen Kane, that whole thing is very. Feels very near, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ooh, that um, was a good. Uh, brain <laughs> slash thank Orson you. Wells. Watch out, Maurice Lamarche. Yeah, coming at you <laughs> later in the podcast. Uh, but it did feel like it, the whole thing just feels like some, something somebody really it was made with love, so to speak.
2: Yeah, and I think it really shows. I mean, I love I, the animation is really good in this. It depends on the animation studio they got, and uh, this one was pretty good, although. Boy, is that, I don't know if you noticed, because it's been a while, that Joker is frighteningly like, like his face is like off-model and crazy. <laughs> it's just like growing. Totally.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, he definitely, there was some element of that, like, I felt like the, I was like, oh, the storyboarding feels really good, and the like, character design feels really good, and then the, some of the just like, I don't know what it would be called, but I guess like the filler animation or whatever, like. Does feel a little like you just feel the constraints of the kind of Saturday morning cartoon format, yeah, they sent it to Korea and then it's like and then it well, comes back one shot and right whoever did
2: it they did it
1: that is what it is. I remember on the on a venture brothers um commentary one time hearing I think it was Doc Hammer talking about like getting they just had like I guess like on whatever season of Venture Brothers was a pretty early one, like just the lowest of the low in terms of whatever studio it was mm-hmm. over there, and just like. There's like something where a bunch of like moth henchmen are like flying up into the air, and he's like, he points out in the commentary. He's like, "You'll watch. They just like disappear at a certain point. Like they just would like disappear and reappear." And it was like, "Well, we got what we got. That's what they sent us." Ugh. The characters have no persistence of motion. And you kind of have time. to just shrug and right. let it go. Totally.
2: Oh, I love the Venture Brothers. That's a side note. Uh, did you, uh, Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, is in the second season? Oh, of really? The Venture Brothers. I don't know how familiar Who is he? Are, I've watched show. a
1: few seasons of it. Maybe Captain three or Sunshine, four. Captain
2: Sunshine. He's a very like... I ah, don't remember. He basically takes he. on Dean as like his Robin.
1: Oh, I think maybe I, okay. I think maybe I do remember. They veer Captain into Sunshine. some like
2: pedophile territory, sure. which I'm always like with that show. Right. I'm like, guys, you're smarter than this. <laughs> right, right, like, right. I think you guys are so funny. <laughs> right, right, right. Why are you making this joke again and again? Right, and I think at a certain point they like like in the, like, later in the seasons they were like, hey, maybe let's not do this, and they veer away. From right, the right, 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 right. Uh, Understandable. I love the show. I love you guys. Uh, this is not an uh, right. an attack on the venture. Don't yell at us um, for that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, let's see. What do we have in these notes here? We both took notes. I
1: hadn't seen the title sequence since it aired, but what a great title sequence. Did it fill like you with opening. nostalgic it did yeah I definitely recognized it Um, and it's so it's just so great like the open with like the sort of blimps and the skyline and the whole thing is just very uh, you know it really kind of like I feel like this show to some degree must have added to my kind of like mental you know like cityscape you know what I mean we all sort of have a a sort of an impression of just like in your head when you think of like a city like a real city area like what does that look like I think for a lot of people it's probably a combination of various gothams just like and this is definitely expression one oh totally yeah just, like, <laughs> <angry>. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it was it was it was cool it was exciting and nice. also just too i just love that everyone in it is like all the bad guys are just goons like it's goons with like hats even the joker has like goons with some hats
2: i love the, the joker was wearing one of those hats he was wearing like oh, a, yeah. that purple hat. I don't know totally. what it is about gangstery looking Joker, right. but I think he's real
1: cool. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> well, he's all, no matter what Joker you got, he's almost always wearing a purple suit. Yes. So it's a not a long leap to like, he's just an old fashioned, uh, he's got, a, he's got a zoot suit. Yeah. He's in the Brian Setzer Orchestra. <laughs> is that
2: uh, in canon? Is that uh, true? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I believe Big Bad Voodoo Daddy okay. is in canon. <laughs> great, yes. great.
2: Just wanted to make sure. Sure. Uh, see the squid. Uh, very uh, Woody allen uh, Oh yeah, <laughs> Woody allen Yeah, what
1: a great character. And there is a point that, this is skipping to the end, but like where they he kind of gets called out as like it's all been like somebody like the the crime boss is convinced like it must all be an act. Oh, and you're yeah. kind of going like, could it be? But then it's weirdly, I mean, obviously he didn't like kill Batman, but there is something so great to the idea of, you know, like there's so many villains who are hell-bent on killing Batman or killing, you know, any superhero that are, like, really plotting on it and, like, that's what they want to do the most of their lives. It's kind of great, the idea of, like, no, but it's weirdly believable. Like, the only person that would be able to do it is so not trying to kill Batman right. that they almost, like, stumble ass backwards into it.
2: Exactly. Literally. <laughs> right. That's what he does. Uh, yeah, I feel like Batman's, like, you know, cartoonishly prepared for everything, so of course it's right. going to be this... Exactly. Nobody. It's, like,
1: the one thing he's not going to see coming because he's too... He's trying he's too hard.
2: To, He's trying to help him. Right. That's Batman's foible. His
1: empathy. Uh, and drugs. That was amazing. Justin and I, as we were watching it, both kept giggling at the sort of kind of 90s-y generalized, just like, and that's for the drugs.
2: Yeah, it was like bookmarked or bookended on right. either end of the episode, mm-hmm. which was kind of, I mean, it popped up a few times in the series, but I was like, this feels like a forced note.
1: Yeah, right. right. I was surprised they even had it be drugs to begin with.
2: That was when the As D.A.R.E. The program MacGuffin. was pretty popular,
1: right? Totally. I, I was just surprised that you would even bring it up in a kids' show. Yeah. Um, but it was also... I was thinking when it was like, and that's for the drugs. I was like... There was a lot of in entertainment at that time and in sort of like public education, like a generalized... Like you're saying, like the D.A.R.E. program, there was like a generalized like... And and drugs in their bad and drug dealers give them to you. But you didn't really know... Like, there was no The Wire. Right. There was no, like, you know, like, you didn't, as a kid, I guess, I, I you know, you, uh, I was, and I also was not cool, that should definitely be said. But, like, you just had this impression of, like, there's a generalized drugs with a capital D. Yes. They probably come in, like, a big baggie, just full of general, just drugs. There just says drugs It's like on the it.
2: equivalent of, like, the big sack of money with a exactly. dollar sign. It just has, <laughs> yes, like, yeah, a, a big, drugs. like, skull. And, well, not even skull and cross. So like just a D. <laughs> D for drugs. The D sack, exactly.
1: Um, Ooh, the and D sack. The D, <laughs> that can't be taken any other way. Nope. Um and it was given gonna be sold to you by an eighth grader with like r- like red eyes and like a, like you know, like kinda like bloodshot eyes. Did you have a jean cartoon
2: All Stars to the Rescue?
1: Absolutely. That talk about the joker stuck with yeah. me
2: so much. I mean I think Dare worked on me for sure. For sure. I did, right. I did not touch a drug, I did not touch any We were alcohol. one of the few
1: kids that Dare did not make more likely to yes, use drugs, as it's it apparently insane. did.
2: Uh, but that that cartoon, like, there's, like, the personification of drugs is, like, that, like, wheezy, ghosty, like, yeah. crack cloud? <laughs> <laughs> like, what
1: is it? I don't know. It was kind of, a, I guess maybe it was almost in, like, a, like, it was, like, a fern gully thing yes. to him. It was more of a sludgy, just sort of general evil was just... nothing. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, well, we should say for the people that never, that didn't see oh, it, yeah, that let's... for who's for whose pop cultural uh, childhood landscape this was not a part, cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue? Yeah. That? Is that what it was called? I watched it so much, I had it on VHS. Yeah, I had it on VHS too. Did, was it given out for free It was or given something?
2: out for free at McDonald's. It was okay. co-funded by okay. McDonald's and the White House. So there is an introduction from George Bush Sr. Whoa. And Barbara Bush Whoa. sitting there and they're like, drugs are bad. Like, you should... Like, it's amazing. If you can get your hands on it, or it's on
1: YouTube. I'm sure, yeah. Uh
2: and it was a yeah, it's it's an So and all-
1: then all the and it was like about I feel like it was about like just a fictional kid who mm-hmm. was maybe wearing a letter jacket, as most kids were. Was he real or was he did he start live action and no, then go it's into a cartoon? cartoon. Okay. It's like
2: him and his little sister and he's right. bad and he breaks her piggy bank open oh. and steals her money from her. And there was a poster with every cartoon of the time, so I right. think it's like Slimer from Ghostbusters, right. and Garfield, and right. Alf, the cartoon version, and Ducktales, <laughs> and Bugs Bunny, and right.
1: Ninja Turtles, or whatever. Uh, I think maybe that's why it worked on me because oh, yeah. heart wrenching. Uh, you, you look at them at the, you look at them in retrospect, and they're super kitschy and lame. But like, you know, those like scenarios, like you're gonna break your sister's piggy bank to get drugs. You're just like, no. And the drug thing is like, yeah, do right. it. Like right, 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 and right. Break the piggy bank. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then his, his the to. cartoons, like, step in.
2: They step in and they try to save him, and uh, I think they go inside of his brain on right. drugs. And There's a roller coaster. Roller. Yes. Yeah, There's a song that...
1: I don't remember Winnie that. the
2: Pooh and... <sighs> like, they all sing Winnie it together. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh's in it.
1: That's just so weird. You just don't like them thinking of Winnie the Pooh even in being aware of drugs. Baby Miss Piggy talks
2: about smack. <gasps> like, verb, like, says the word, I think, smack or crack. Like, Baby Kermit is... You know, it's like, you don't want to, like, try, like, don't try dope. And it's like, you know, like Bugs Bunny, like, yeah, die. Right. Like, it's so insane. Right. And it's, I loved it because it was like, I love team-ups. Right, 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 crossovers, right, right, totally. Crossovers, for some reason, were the best thing yeah. to children. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that was, there was a, uh, this rapper, lacutus had a great tweet recently that I saw that I just liked because I was like, it was really funny, but it was also just really tapped into something about my childhood, like, cartoon brain, where he was like, he said something effective like he had a, it was a picture of the full cast of Dragon Ball Z and he was like I want to watch Dragon Ball Z but only just them hanging out. It's <laughs> it's lit when everyone's hanging out together. And it's just like cuz you would see like those like there would be images or things and it would just be like the whole cast of this show is just like in an image like yeah. almost like they're posing for their school photo, but that never happens in the show. They're never just all hanging out together. And it was
2: like, yeah, you just you just sometimes you just so want to see them all hanging out, the, uh, exactly. Family reunion, yeah. Why Everybody not? They're all here. having a barbecue. Yeah, I, I would love. I mean, like, I want more crossovers. I want more hanging out. Right. I want more of the end of the first Avengers. Sure. But with any show, I love
1: <laughs> more people eating shawarma. Yeah, it's the shawarma part. Right. That in.
2: uh, <laughs> it's yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't know how we got. It's on It's pleasing.
1: Stuff. Well, I think it sort of emulates here. Maybe that's and that's why. One of the reasons the Lego Movie was so smart is because it's like it's, it, it's like you it's emulating that and toys the original Toy Story as well like it's emulating that uh, that toy box effect where like part of you wants to keep them all hermetic and uh-huh. sort of in their own little I, that, I was almost more that kid where I kind of weirdly wanted everything to this is Star Wars over here and this is Legos over here and this is whatever. And then, but there also too is that like kind of like mixing up your Thanksgiving plate effect of like you can have them all play together and it's for a kid it's so intuitive.
2: I think i was more with you in that i kept them separate right. but i would create a like elaborate narrative reasons for, for them like, to have them to meet each <laughs> sure other. sure
1: sure oh totally yeah exactly but just as long as there's like an explanation
2: right like we need to know why right <laughs> uh, it doesn't if it, it doesn't make sense otherwise and then
1: that's going to take up the whole day right coming up with that explanation okay and so there could that be out.
2: like warp speed maybe they like open a rift to another dimension right. uh Chewbacca gets <laughs> stranded. Uh, I, was,
1: to- I was joking around with my my screenwriting partners before Force Awakens came out about like how much would you pay for a version of the Force Awakens? Like, it, let's, let's say we'd all gone to see the Force Awakens and it's just like the opening crawl happens or whatever and then it's just like, and then it just cuts to like, and then it was just like a, a sort of American city like waterfront, and then just the thing comes up. It's like Boston, nineteen eighty eight. Like, how do you? Think That's something. There's would... something so offen- deeply offensive about that.
2: That would be honestly the greatest. Bit I know it would be ever
1: That's the problem is that there's too much. I mean, obviously it's not a problem. It's great. That they kept it in the actual Star Wars universe. But, like, not enough things are just, like, ruined like that. And it would be so viscerally thrilling that they were just like, no, this is what we're going to do. And we were saying, I think, that it, like, mostly takes place in Boston 1988. And you get the sense there's, like, MacGuffin of, like, the Death Star plans. Or maybe, like, in a briefcase that, like, thugs are sort of trading. But it's really just nibbling around the edges.
2: They finally, like, it ends with them opening the briefcase. And it's not for a Death Star right? It's just, like... Oh. <laughs> a new TV. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, flat sweet, screams. Flat screen. Yeah, right. It's like <laughs> it's that would be shitty in that movie if it wasn't a Star Wars movie. So they definitely shouldn't do it here. But Batman. But um, Batman. Uh yes, this was this was a uh speaking of cities and crime, uh I yeah, I did like that there was a I liked one of the things I liked was that there was a plan where you're immediately like why would they bring this guy he seems like a klutz and they're like why are we bringing this guy and it's like oh because he'll provide a distraction batman will beat up on him and then we can get away and then what i didn't understand was the crooks then see that batman is engaging with him he's actually fighting back They're like wow he's doing a pretty good job and then they're like let's get out of (laughs) here and so they want to they like they leave before they like steal yeah. Anything they see, they're like, "Oh no, Batman's here!" But it's like, wasn't that the plan to attract Batman?
2: Passed, like when he was doing, oh like, that okay oh gotcha, gotcha gotcha gotcha. So like, they
1: had emerged. They, I think they were coming I out see, of the see. He was okay. doing
2: shadow puppets for three hours. It's a very long heist. If you've ever, so. you
1: ever tried it, they're really entertaining. It's I did inc- like his yeah his like the fact that that's so thoroughly captured his imagination that he was immediately What a like, simple fellow. I know. It was cute.
2: Uh yeah, and he was he was narrating to himself like a child. Right. It's like the amazing said the squid or It's also
1: like a weirdly empathetic portrait of a criminal because it's kind of like telling kids like there's not only just one bad type of criminal. There's There's a native criminal. Exactly. There's a Woody Allen criminal.
2: <laughs> uh, you could be a short little Jewish sure, criminal. Sure, there's
1: a place for even <laughs> even a place for you in crime.
2: Yeah, I thought that that was kind of weird, actually, that the moral ended up, you know, so he was like, you know, his want was like, I just want to, what, I want to be a big shot. Yeah, I want to be a big shot. And he's like, finally, I'm a big shot. I thought it was kind of weird that Batman was like, hey, you know what? People might think you're cool for all of this where you're going. Right. Like, I feel like usually Batman's goal is like, I'm going to rehabilitate this guy because he didn't mean to. <laughs> but in this case, he's like, no, I'm sending this guy to prison.
1: Sending you to jail. You know, what's the 90s? It's the war on drugs. It's the right. era of mass incarceration. That's um, true. And Batman is is not exempt from that. Um, but, yeah, I do... Th- I, 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 I... Yeah, no, that's a good point. There was... That ending was like, it was very satisfying on a like... Then he's a big shot, right? Like, you get these sort of, like, um, sort of, like, Twilight Zone-y sort of, like, punchline to it. Um, But when, if you stop and think about it for a second, it doesn't quite hold up because it's like, wait, but then also aren't those guys going to find out, like, a week later when Batman has to actually now reemerge and go fight Crocodile? Like, aren't they going to be like, hey, uh... He's, he's, he's actually not alive. This it guy's not a big like, like, you know, Shine my shoes.
2: The Joker's gonna come and kill him. Right, like everybody's totally. Everybody's coming after him.
1: Yeah, I did love the Joker stuff in, as off-model as his animation may oh, have it was been. A, I it's did, I did incredible. Re, like, him going through... It was like weirdly captured a lot of the fun themes of Batman where it's like, he's like, well, without Batman, crime has no punchline. And it's, it's like, you know, and the, the fact that the Batman had created him and like the whole theme of like... Does do the Joker and Batman have any meaning without each other? If one just went away, would the, would the other one just no longer even be necessary?
2: Yeah, and that line encapsulates all of it. Uh, I think Mark Hamill wrote because he did like the intro to, you know, some Joker coffee table book that came oh, out cool. recently, and he like talked about this episode and he was like, that line is what helped me lock in with the character.
1: Oh, cool. He was like, it
2: clicked for me. That's awesome. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's so interesting.
1: So, what is Harley Quinn's relationship to the Joker?
2: Oh, boy. She's uh, his girlfriend who uh, he's incredibly abusive to her. Right. <laughs> uh, or sometimes... Glad you her. asked. Yes. Right. Okay. he, he even, like, like, you know, like, throws her. Yeah. Kind of point. And, and, like, I mean, she kind of cartoonishly bounces. Right, right, right. I love that. Like, look all the pretties. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. There were a few things that they, you felt like they were doing strictly for the whole it being a kid's cartoon aspect of it, like when the Joker throws the guy, his one of his goons to the hyenas, and the guy's face sort of like kind of comes back into frame a little bit, just be like, he's okay, he's, he's okay. okay. He's but dead. then like Harley kind of undercuts it because she's like, I'll get the mop. Like oh. he's gonna be, there's just gonna be viscera all Everywhere. over the floor. And I love that the Joker just has goons. Like oh. they're not like dressed like clowns or anything like that. They are just...
2: Trench coat wearing fedora guys.
1: If people like, uh, sort of like not Batman ephemera, but like things that are, that are sort of like related to visual motifs in Batman stuff. I just recently watched, uh, over the break, um, the friends of Eddie Coyle. Have you ever seen that? No. What is it's it? this early seventies crime movie. Um, uh, starring, Oh fuck. Who's in it? I want to say Peter Boyle. Um, and it's very influential. I think it was very influential on like the sort of like, Ben Affleck kind of like Boston crime averse. Like it's very like just kind of grungy dudes that are very mid-level criminals that it's like you kind of felt like it, it's not like they're getting rich off of being criminals. Mm-hmm. It's like they went into it like any other job and they're just kind of it's very 70s in that way and it um, has it centers around a series of robberies um, that are all very cool kind of like bankrupt not cool in the sense of they're, they're sort of interesting Uh, bank robberies and all the dudes in them have those basically the same masks that they they wear a bunch of different masks throughout the movies but one of them I was realizing like oh that's the mask that Nolan used for the Joker's goons at the the beginning beginning. of Dark Knight and it feels very it feels I'm like this has to have been a, a thing that he sort of like like inspired him because oh, they are is so that like kind of
2: like the town what, yes exactly I, I didn't exactly. see the town yeah. but I remember the posters right. were like totally nun masks
1: yeah exactly it's like that it's a it's a very similar thing they're all wearing very creepy like I think at one point they're all wearing like Nixon masks or something like it is weirdly it, it, it was neat to see that repeated and so watching movies like that you do see the influence of that kind of like kind of you know sort of like dingy 70s crime stuff on like the Nolan Batmany, Yes. yeah things. so if you like that people you should you should go watch check it Fr- out Friends of Eddie Coyle it's good <laughs> uh,
2: and also you know what's this oh god why am I blanking out on the name that you just said the actor that's in it uh, Peter Boyle Peter Boyle is yeah. amazing in everything oh tremendous I would even say I saw Scooby Doo Monsters Unleashed, the sequel to the live action <laughs> Scooby Doo movie. When it came Peter out, Boyle's
1: in it. He's the bad guy. Whoa, and that's he's awesome! Great, and I think they got Peter the Boyle. Last that's fantastic. Movie he did. Uh, we were, I think, we were laughing a number of times in this episode at things that are weirdly anachronistic for kids. Like there was a joke early on where he offers him what is it? He's like the crime boss offers uh, Sid the Squid. Like he's like. A demi Yes. Or whatever. Like some, like, I'm assuming like a pre-dinner drink or yeah. something. Like, <laughs> How about a demi <laughs> <laughs> It's like, and there would be weird things like that that you realize now that you're a grown-up that you remembered from stuff you liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like this is probably true for most kids. Like, things that, at that age, you're just so accepting. Things that you don't know what they are, sometimes you just assume like, oh, that's a grown-up thing, whatever. Like, they don't bug you. No. You're, you don't reject them it's like, that's not...
2: They're not talking about go Fuck! Let's bring this place to the ground! <laughs> it was not about Go-Gurt! <laughs> I'm, I'm freaking out!
1: Um, you just go, oh, that's a okay. grown-up thing. Okay, cool. And you just sort of, like, accept it. Yeah, which, and like, at weird.
2: worst, you're going to look it up.
1: Exactly. You know, right. or forget
2: it. But I feel right. like a lot, like, good and, you know, like, good children's television mm. or filmmaking isn't pandering to kids. No. It's treating them as smart as they are, or maybe... You know, a little bit smarter. Oh, totally. And then, you know, that, that's... You should treat... I feel like kids are so much smarter than they're treated in half of the stuff that's Oh, made absolutely. That. And it's such a bummer yeah. when you
1: see bad kids. Right. Stuff. I just saw this... I can't remember where it was, but I just saw this, like, Mr. Rogers poster. It was, like, everything I've ever needed to know I learned from Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. or whatever. And I was reading it, and one of the... There was, like, a bunch of quotes about how great Mr. Rogers is, and it was talking about how, like, Mr. Rogers believes that children's problems are real or something like that. Like, and when you're a kid and you're like so worked up about something and it's like, yeah, but like Mr. Rogers was just like, I I understand that for you, that's the whole world. Mm-hmm. And that's really all that matters. It's not whether it is in fact the whole world. Right. Cuz it's stupid. It's a broken, it's the fact that you mixed your Star Wars somebody mixed your Star Wars and your He-Man toys in the same bin, but Mr. Rogers is saying like, I understand that for you that's a really big deal cuz this is how big the world is for you. Yeah. And I like that.
2: It's I mean, it's accepting and right. you're treating people with Warmth and intelligence.
1: And there was another one, similarly, that I was like, there's no, like, the subpoena, Harley Quinn's, like, subpoena I joke. legitimately loved
2: that joke, <laughs> uh, So much.
1: It was like, I think I gave you, a, I served you a subpoena. A, what was it? A, <laughs> it a, was a very a, small, small subpoena. subpoena. And, like, so the timing on it joke. was so oh, perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, the she blocking of it. Yeah, totally. It's so great. It was
2: amazing. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, they got away with that in the writing. Right. It oh, was, yeah, absolutely. And just, I
1: wouldn't know... Uh, I, I, as a kid, I wouldn't have known what a subpoena was. I don't think I I mean, got maybe it. it was around OJ time, so maybe I might have that Oh, yeah, it was exactly around um, OJ time. But uh, that's what we called it back then. We're like, hey, kids, it's OJ time. Oh,
2: it's OJ time. Gather <laughs> around the television.
1: Um, but that was that's so delightful, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I loved that. I loved it. And, like, you know, like people getting torn apart by dogs. Sure, sure. Just
1: stuff that grown-ups love.
2: Uh, I thought it was really cool, and I think we haven't really talked about her much on this Podcast, but she is a character I think that was also created for this show. Is that that female cop? Her name is Renee Montoya. Oh, okay. And it's one of those little things where it's like, oh, just make a cop not a dude. Totally. Uh, Which is one of you know, it's like, hey, when you think about writing things, like make these characters women as well. Totally. Uh, Which is super important. Uh, But I was like, this is 1993. Right. uh, When that would
1: generally not. Right. And it's also like, I guess without. Her, the only female character in the episode would be like the Joker's weird mall. You know what I mean. So yeah. that is that is uh, pretty neat that they even thought to do that. Yeah, because otherwise did. it's so easy to just like we already have the the goon models. Mm-hmm. You know, like why not just make uh, take one of them, put him in a police out, uh, outfit. Now he's a cop. Okay, yeah. great. It's so easy. So the fact they went out of their way to do that is very cool, and it just makes it feel more real
2: yeah i mean she she's a character that like shows up throughout whenever they need a cop right. it's like her and that other guy harvey bullock right but she i, I don't know it's like the the gimmick isn't she's a woman right <laughs> she's also latina which is right. kind of you know it's a little goofy that she's like madre de dios right it's but a little it's on the nose like, hey, yeah it's a know. little
1: on the nose but it's 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 at I'm least okay they're with it trying it yeah exactly yeah
2: it's not like Oh my god, I'm white. (laughs) I'm another white
1: character. Uh, That's another episode. Yeah, oh my god, I'm another white character, and I'm not Mr. Freeze. (laughs) Have they yet made a joke in the Batman comic currently where the Joker makes some reference to experiencing white privilege? Ooh, I don't know. If you're out there, Batman writers of today...
2: Scott Snyder, I'm looking Scott at you. Scott Snyder have one
1: Scott, I could tweet it at him. I think he follows me on Twitter. Maybe Tweeted? I just follow him on Twitter. Well, there's only I'll one way to find him. out. Okay, great. Look Scott, your if you're out there.
2: And you're listening to this podcast. And you're podcast listening to this right podcast.
1: Now, uh, and then and another one I think we laughed at that was anachronistic was uh it was like it was like those kind of friends I can do without. Or something like just like that little kind of old timey turn of phrase. It or felt whatever. like
2: such a like goofy woody Allen. like those kind of friends <laughs> I could do without. I, do without. I love it. Uh, yeah, I loved, there's also, uh, I, I think, like, oh, I loved, this is going back to that shadow play stuff, but I loved just Batman firing the grapple into oh, the shadow, yeah. and like, killing the fake squid. Totally. Like, that's just a fun Yeah, 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 absolutely. Gag.
1: Oh, totally. Um. Totally. It's so fun. Uh, I like the Joker, it was sort of related to the crime has no punchline thing, but the, it was, it's a little bit, um, it's like kind of meta almost, but but um really cool, and I feel like would have been satisfying even as a kid when the joker's lamenting the fact that Batman's not showing up to the uh robbery. And he's like there's a certain rhythm to these things, yeah. See, we have a few laughs like and it is, I don't know, it's cool like I, I that's neat. I mean, I think like now there's so much superhero stuff, so you have to sort of be careful to be innovating or pushing things forward when you're trying to do stuff that is sort of being. Um, I have, for lack of a better term meta about superheroes or self-aware superhero stuff but like that's really cool and really cool to do in like a kid's cartoon and also because it isn't just calling out comic book tropes for the sake of calling them out it is does speak to something about those characters that they like need each other there's this weird like Push pull. Yeah, thing.
2: well, it's the only thing that the Joker loves, right? Uh, which is crazy. I mean, like you know, it's it's a cartoon, but like he, it's the only time I think I've seen the character cry, right? Like he sheds a tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very a, quiet, which is
1: weird because it's like he is this such as such a sort of like psychopathic character who doesn't has no the only thing he he just, he just hates like rules of any kind, or and he's such a an anarchist, but like that is the only place where he clearly has there's some. Some pull about that. There's some... It's like stands in for like other human relationships for him. Yeah. And his weird... And again, his weird abusive Harley Quinn relationship. I
2: feel like it's like a analog for just like being obsessed with your work. Totally. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, to the nth degree.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, it it's another thing that makes... Uh, Heath Ledger having died so sad because of the way at the end of the Dark Knight they sort of set up like you and me we're always going to be going round and round you oh, know no. like and you're like you're just so like yes
2: please this is the first this Joker I've excited about yes. know, since this cartoon. <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely um, and I don't know that was that that's it's it's such an important thing about both of those characters i guess and it was neat that they got to that in this episode like this episode was like it really took its time i felt like the joker's funeral speech like it wasn't too long but it was like long like they yeah. took their time there's like it was like a soliloquy just
2: walking over to the podium and like quiet footsteps <laughs> totally. and they're all just kind of standing oh there. yeah
1: it's great and it's like the that's the site of where he made him where he became the joker right? yeah
2: and I think That's at this really point, cool. I don't know if they had like said that at this point. I think there's like a lot of inferred history, which right. is what I like about the show. It's like, cool. It's not like built on like intense and heavy continuity. Uh, right. It's really just like, you know what the idea right. of Batman and what the Joker totally. is, you know. Uh, I love Where that. was
1: this in like the run of the overall series?
2: I think this was like, oh, I want to say second or third season. Um, so it wasn't like an early episode. It right. was definitely like somewhere in the middle.
1: I did see some, and it makes me think of this episode. I don't remember if it was just like if it was a full article. I didn't read it, um, but like a an article or a tweet or something from a TV writer that was talking. It was kind of lamenting like how in these in this age of like shorter seasons, which every, almost everyone in TV fandom agrees are, like, better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, shorter seasons, you can have more just, like, awesome fucking episodes. You can get seasons, like, in a Breaking Bad where it would just be, like, bam, 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 bam. Like, no filler, just, like, all story. Yeah. Like, so awesome. They were kind of lamenting, like, the lack of season... Uh, the, the, that, that that as a length of season seems to be sort of going out of fashion for various reasons. It means that you don't get as many, like, interesting, weird little... Episodes where they like this episode where they I don't I don't know if this was like they were like well we have 22 episodes boarded out and we need 23 so let's do a weird little one off thing where Batman's not in it the whole time but like that you don't get as many chances to be like you know what let's just do one where our main character is not in it it's like from someone else's perspective on the world and like it's it's, it is a little bit of a bummer that people might not be as encouraged to do stuff like this you know
2: I've never thought of it like that because I always think of like that that limitation breeds creativity always right. like rings in oh, sure, sure, my sure. head which Absolutely. is like none of these you know right. idioms are like mutually exclusive right. but it's like interesting to think about like yeah like the fact that they had an expansive episode order totally I think it was like they were like right. over a hundred episodes total of the show whoa uh, so it's kind of nuts right
1: which but that's a limitation in and of itself almost that bred creativity because they were going maybe I I would imagine just because I just because out of human like we're all human and we're all a little bit like Oh fuck! Now I got to do all this work. Like you do have a lot of space to fill, so it might you might go like, "Hey, let's try that. Why not?" You know, like that was almost a limitation in and of itself that maybe bred some creativity, right? Well, they did. I mean, because it was like it was placed upon them from the outside. You know, like we need this many episodes to fill. I don't know. I don't know how how it economics. Yeah, exactly. That's so um, interesting.
2: I, I, yeah, I just have never thought of it like that. But now you've brought it back to the thing I believe in, so. <laughs>
1: Yay! Affirming our biases. Affirming, Affirming our biases. biases.
2: OJ time. <laughs> writers, join in. Uh, I th- oh, there they are. Those writers on the couch, which is next to a chair. Nice. Okay, yeah. All right. really you guys are sketching this. it at home? Are you sketching, <laughs> sketching my sketching, living room Sketching at home? along at home? <laughs> okay, cool. I bet you have three pieces of a room. <laughs> a wall, a couch, and a this chair. This is blowing your mind. Yeah. Uh, there's a microphone involved mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah. Oh, Amazing Grace on the kazoo was kind of a...
1: That was hilarious. Yeah, that was so dark and weird and fun. I don't know. It was, yeah, it was perfect. It's like the whole thing. This was kind of a perfect episode in in, in many ways just because it was so strange and... Um, it did feel like something they would do in a comic book where it's like, we're just going to have a, a, not a episode that, or not an episode, an issue that moves the sort of larger story forward in any real way. We're just going to do kind of a one-off thing that like shows you another aspect of this world. Like yeah. there's this, there's Batman and there's all these mega criminals. But what about this one little guy who's just like, oh man, I want to be a big shot. Like let's focus rather than a guy that would normally be like guarding a door and then Batman would be like, get out of here. And he would run away. Like, let's do a whole episode from his point of view.
2: Yeah, I think they actually, like, visually the way they told the story I thought was interesting. Like, because it was all from his point of view. Like, Batman was barely seen mm. outside of being pretty imposing. But, like, when you first see the Joker, it's, like, right. he's in shadows on that, like, yeah, crazy yeah. yeah. We right. just see his legs at first. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, we're kind of, like, we know who it is. Right. But you're being reintroduced to him from the eyes of... This guy. Sid the Squid. Right.
1: Who gets to go on this whole tour of, like, the... Criminal underground that he never really expected to, because everybody thinks that he killed Batman. I do think he got to so go to funny. jail. Oh, what a! Cool you got to thing. be at the head of a table, hideout. He got to. That image uh, is really funny. Yeah,
2: him in that huge chair. Oh with yeah, like the cowl draped. Over and you're just
1: it. like, this can't last.
2: No. no, he's just sitting there like politely. Bluto, we talked about. I that lot because I'm like, this is right. a bludo-y looking goon. It's <laughs> going to pick a fight with him. Uh, I love that They the guy. should get
1: a uh, sort of... a. Uh, they should just rent out their own hideout. I don't think they should have one in just a bar no. where they, where any guy can come up and fight their boss.
2: Yeah, they, gotta, they, they really gotta invest in a hideout. <laughs> That's the first step of a criminal enterprise. Mm,
1: it's like, again, it's investing in yourself.
2: Did you hear that? That's a lesson. That's a tidbit. You didn't think you'd get that today.
1: Uh, the guy who ate peanuts.
2: Love that bit. I love that visual gag of just like casual eat a peanut. Oh, and then, so like, good. Well right pushing the bowl off yeah again
1: it felt like it almost felt like a weird like um a, a like a visual gag that you would have in like in citizen kane or something where it's like we're going to choose it's like like going up into the rafters to focus on the guys that are being like wow she's a really crappy singer basically you know what i mean like yeah. just these little weird cool choices that almost feel like it just it's like and i think that's maybe the reason that like the stuff that's considered so good in like golden age or silver age or whatever comics or in like in were these storytelling mediums where they had to crank out so many of them that after a certain point you either become a total hack or you become good as a way to keep yourself like amused mm-hmm. you know what I mean like this felt like I don't know what Bruce Tim and Paul Dini's like pedigree was before this but it almost feels like they're like we want to do that because we've gotten good at that because that's the way we know how to make cartoons, we don't make them shitty. We make them good as a way to like keep ourselves entertained. Oh,
2: I mean, Bruce Tim's background was I think he worked on the He Man
1: cartoon. Oh, like, really? That was, That's like, awesome. One of his first jobs, right? And he hated it. He right, was miserable for an right. artist because of the just the machinery the, the, aspect. Yeah, of it was it.
2: like they were just. He was like copy, like. I think it was like photocopying essentially like poses. Right. And it's like, how can we limit each thing as much as possible? Oh, totally. How can we reuse the animation from this episode for this one? right. Uh, which is kind of nuts. So I bet it was like, you know, I think at the time they were like looking to redevelop properties that they owned at Warner brothers.
1: Gotcha. And
2: so he like drew up a picture of Batman Mm. Like, burst in, you know, like, right. like, I don't know. I'm imagining he, like, kicks in right. the door. You can't go in there. Uh, but he, I don't care. <laughs> uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I think he was working on, like, Tiny Toons at the time. Gotcha. But he, I think, doesn't consider himself a comedy guy. But he's funny. He uh, was like, I want to do Batman. I have this idea. Right. And they were like, okay. Right. Um, and then he, like, paired up with this other guy, Eric Radomski, who, you know, like, kind of created the visual aesthetic. Oh, of, like, cool do everything on a black background. And sure. And they created... Uh, I think they eventually ditched it because it was too dark for television standards.
1: Oh, uh, like right, right, certain, right. Like, like a loud
2: level of like, blackness okay. on television so anybody could see it. Whoa. And it was too dark, so I think they stopped pa- like painting backgrounds on black.
1: Just pure black. Exactly. Wow. But
2: like, I think the, the, the animation test that they sold this on was basically like a version of the opening
1: theme song. Oh, cool. Which is... Nuts. Oh yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's so cool. It's, it's like it's if it's it's weirdly it's like every like a lot of you have your sort of like mental Batman. I'll bet a lot of people of our age's mental Batman is this Batman in this world. It's for sure my because it's so like captures so many cool things about what's cool about Batman.
2: I think that's a pretty good all right. wrap up. Sweet. Do we have anything else you want to say?
1: Guys, the real man who killed Batman was um uh was all of us. Just gotta clap our hands. <laughs> Well, thanks, thank for you, coming sir, on the show, mate. my pleasure. It was very fun.
2: Man, that was fun. And I should know. I was there. Now, it's time for the next interview. That's your cue to move things along, Kevin Conroy-Bot, my robot editing assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. KCB, we gotta move on. Where did he get off to? (laughs)
0: Brain, what are we going to do today? The same thing we do every day, Kevin Conroy Bot.
2: Try to take over Batman the Animated Podcast. Yes! Nope! Today, you're just a terrifyingly big-headed mouse under a jar. Drat Foiled again.
1: Sorry, Brain. Beep bop boop narf.
2: Come on, KCB, what were you thinking? We've got a podcast to run. I cannot get another angry nerd complaining in an iTunes review about a character bit on the extremely free podcast they don't have to listen to.
1: He seemed fun.
2: Oh, hey, here's a fun thing you can do. Prep the next interview and get rid of the rodent.
1: Okay, Justin, I'm going to take this mouse with a huge, huge, huge head
2: outside. This head is huge. He's got a huge, huge head. Yes! Back
0: to the lab after I get out of this jar, Pinky. We can plan for tomorrow night.
2: My name is not (sighs) Pinky. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, back to the interviews.
1: Today's guest, Maurice LaMarche.
2: Maurice LaMarche is probably the sound of your childhood or The Sound of Your Current Adulthood. He starred in cartoons ranging from the real Ghostbusters to Inspector Gadget to The Tick to various incarnations of Looney Tunes to Adventure Time, Rick and Morty, The Simpsons, Futurama. Man, it would take me the length of time to do this entire episode to rattle off his credits, so let's just say he's really good and you probably have heard him even if you didn't know it. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you do know who he is. Well, the reason he's on the show today is that he played the henchman the Joker throws to the hyenas. Remember that? Yep, that's also the brain. I just want to take a sec to say Maurice was so kind and easy to get along with. We had never met until this interview, and I think you can really hear how goddamn welcoming he is. He's also funny as hell and a big Batman fan himself, so I think you guys are going to love it. Okay, less of me. More of Maurice! Oh, excellent. I'm sitting down. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting down. Thank God you're sitting down because what comes next could shock you. Uh, that I will be standing up after I have sat down. <laughs> uh, the voice you just heard is Maurice LaMarche.
0: And it's my real voice. Yeah, this is, is, is the is real shocking voice. shocking to many people. People don't hear this. I don't generally talk like this. No, you generally in talk in media. many
2: voices. That's true. Uh, I'm so honored to be sitting down with you uh and talking thank about thank you justin your your career and and your life and Batman the animated series and everything in between Batman the animated series. I did a couple of them, but um oh, I only saw one credited
0: i thought i i thought they they threw me oh no, you know what it was the Batman. It was the the Reno Romano version of, yes. of you know, Young Batman, but before Batman Year One, which was another series. But I, I did a couple of those. But uh, yeah, the the Batman the Animated Series, I begged Andrea Romano to put me in it because I'm such a Batman nerd. And I said, please just put me in one episode. I just want to be in one episode. Let me just be henchman number three. And, you know, she, she finally relented. We were in the middle of, you know, Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. I mean, Warner Brothers Animation had... You know, three sessions going at any given time in uh, in the recording studios where they were out in Silver Lake, as I recall. Uh, I can't remember the name of them, but uh, anyway, so so she finally just you know put me in one. So it, we did a pinky in the brain in the morning and I stuck around and we went into uh, to do um, The Man Who Killed Batman.
2: Yeah, which is, uh, for an episode of Batman to be in, that is one of the best in the series. It's a great episode. And, and, and my friend Ed
0: Begley, who I'd known since, since he was on St. Elsewhere, was in the episode as well. And um, so it was kind of cool, you know, to work with Ed. I'd never worked with him. We were just we were good buddies uh, through uh, Howie Mandel, who I went to high school with. And uh, we came down here within a year of each other. It was, it, Howie came down first and then just urged me To get my ass down to Los Angeles, that it was, you know, this was where to be. We were both from Toronto.
2: Where every good American comedian comes from. Of course, all the
0: best. (laughs) And um, so got to work with Ed. And and Mark was, uh, I mean, I had met Mark about a month before.
2: And this is Mark Hamill? Hamill,
0: yeah. And it was the most surprising meeting of a celebrity I've ever had because here he comes getting out of his car. This particular studio we worked at, whose name will come to me before we're done podcasting, um, had a large sort of parking lot courtyard, and there was a building A and a building B in the back. So there was a bit of a walk. So I saw him walking up, and I was like, you know, I got all starstruck because I'm a Star Wars nerd too. And, and, he looks up and Andrea goes to meet him and they're walking together. And he goes, oh, Mark, Mark, I'd like you to meet. He goes, Maurice LaMarche, I know you. Oh, I love you. You're fantastic. I said, you know me? He goes, yeah, the Young Comedian Special, the Rodney Dangerfield. I love you. I, I tape comedians. I have a collection. You would, you, you, When you come over to my house, you'll see all my videotapes. He's already invited me over to his house in, in three seconds. And he's, you know, he loves stand-up comedy. So he remembered me from like a 1985 Young Comedian special on HBO that Rodney had hosted, Rodney Dangerfield. And so we, we, we were fast friends. It's like we'd known each other all our lives within three minutes. And, and we had this mutual admiration society. So, and it's gone on to this day. I, st- I still get to work with Mark in animation. Um, even during Star Wars, uh, he, he, they, they had a little break because Harrison Ford had a little break in his ankle. <laughs> and so they sent everybody home for a month so while Mark was home, we did, we, we did a, an episode of Transformers Rescue Bots where he plays my brother. So he gave us a little, we got a little preview of what what, what Mark looks like in the movie because he didn't cut his hair or trim his beard or anything. And uh, anyway, the long and the short of it is Mark's a great guy, tremendous to work with, and, um, and just a, just a sweetheart
2: and a real pro. And you got to work with him in this episode, so this was the first time you would met him, or you'd met no, no, him no. Fine? I met him a few months before, okay. as I said,
0: coming off of a pinky, coming out of a pinky in the brain, and he was coming in to do a Batman. I mean, literally, we lived at that studio and did all the Warner Brothers animation shows at that studio. Sometimes there'd be three sh- three sessions a day. So you were um, the
2: two big network villains. <laughs> y-
0: yeah, although you know, it's interesting. I never thought of Brain as a villain. And from tell me the, about that from the beginning. I always felt well you can 't play a villain, you can 't play a guy 's badness, but i didn 't think of because he 's so unaffected, ineffectual in his excuse me, is this the first burp on your podcast I don't uh, know
2: it actually is not oh
0: okay, <laughs> although
2: I know that you are a marathon burper
0: i, uh, I do I do have a syntho belch yes it 's not a real it's i finally uh I finally kind of broke it down. What I do for my burps, which i 've done. In a, in a couple of shows, one of them was Animaniacs, where, where uh, Wacko burps, you know, the Blue Danube Waltz, is, uh, and I did it for Will Ferrell and Elf. Um, Both famous burps. Both well-known burps, well-known. I, It's a combination of Tuvan, almost Tuvan singing technique, you know, the Tuvan monks, coupled with a gookie. What is the gookie? Ah, a gookie is the famous face that Harpo Marx used to make where he puffs out his cheeks, turns his tongue inside out, and crosses his eyes. I leave out the I thing. That's not necessary and will only hurt me. But uh, it's this, uh, uh. with... <coughs> so it's...
2: <coughs> I can imagine it, like, waving out, like the opposite of a pie on a sill. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: you know, it's served me well, and it's gotten me a few residual checks, and it got me a few detentions. Uh, in school because, uh, you know, you just can't make those noises in the middle of, of science class. But anyway, um, we, we were, uh, we, did, we did, we were doing, oh, that's a pinky in the brain. I never thought of him as a villain. I thought of him as uh, uh, a guy who really wanted to take over the world because he, he knew he had the right plan. Mm-hmm. Like once he took over, he was going to do good. That's what I thought. I had to play him that way. I couldn't play him as nefarious or evil. He just has control issues and thinks he knows best. And I think in that way, I think he was able to be a likable character. Mm -hmm. Plus, he had Pinky, who loved him so much that you had to love both of them.
2: Right, if this yeah, innocent yeah. goofball loved the brain, there yeah, must you got be it. something there. Yes,
0: and the Christmas special was kind of the the culmination of that. You know, the, where where uh, where P- P- Pinky tries to give Brain the world and writes a letter to Sad. It's very gift of the Magi and a very sweet episode. But we're here to talk about Batman.
2: Oh, we're here to talk about everything. Okay, but, uh, all right. So you worked with Mark on this episode. We'll talk about Batman up top. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you played one of his goons. His name is Murph.
0: Murph, I uh, got a name. I was so thrilled with that because all I had asked for was henchman number three, <laughs>
2: and I got a name. You didn't just get a name, yeah. You got torn apart by the Joker's hyenas. Yes, I did. Uh, it was,
0: it was, it was, uh, you know, a fitting death, you know, or, or certainly a, a fitting uh, incapacitation. I don't know if anybody actually dies on.
2: In the world of, they had cartoons. to keep alive groan or something. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. But you didn't hear me go. I'm all right, boss. <laughs> I'm still alive. I'm still alive. Sensors. <laughs> Thanks, kids. It's okay. <laughs> I just don't have my nuts anymore. You know. uh, we're going to cut right uh, before the nuts part. <laughs> we're going to cut before the nuts. Oh, this isn't one of those uh, adult uh, content uh, podcasts.
2: I gotcha. know uh, this. No, this is not. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, no, no, this is great. No, no. Uh, I was I was pretending bringing myself to the world of that cartoon. You can say whatever you want on Thank the podcast. You. Thank you. Uh well what was your experience like? You were saying you're you were a big Batman nerd.
0: Oh yeah, I've loved Batman since I was a little kid.
2: What uh, was your favorite Batman?
0: My favorite Batman? Yeah. Well up to that point we we'd only had um well I guess Keaton Keaton had done two and had we had Val Kilmer yet? When uh, when we did Yeah, I guess Kilmer had done his. Um but I, I mean, I love the first Keaton Batman movie. I mean, we didn't have the Bale Batman yet. We, none of us have yet have you, at at this taping. None of us have yet seen the Affleck, the Batfleck. Um, but um, that looks interesting. But I, I was a huge uh, anticipator of of the of the first Batman movie. And in fact, at the time I was working out at a gym that. Uh, john peters worked out at so he he we would occasionally be on the treadmill together and i'd just ask him how the film would, was going and we were we were kind of sort of gym buddies and <laughs> you know it was sort of weird um and it was it was just for me this wow they're finally going to do it right he's not going to wear when i saw he was he wasn't going to wear a leotard but body armor you know
2: uh did you grow up reading batman
0: I was my nose was in every iteration of Batman comics. Now in those days the stories were simpler though, you know. Uh Dark Batman, you know, hadn't hadn't really come back uh until the late 1970s. And you know, the ones the ones I saw, he was always it was the Bob Kane always smiling and always kind of standing on an angle, you know, in mid run mm-hmm. with Robin with the same goofy, you know, rectangular smile. But those were sweet stories for little kids. You know, one of the things that always got me about them though, was like Bruce Wayne and Batman had the exact same face, except for the spit curl. You know, they were drawn exactly the same. I mean, Bruce Wayne and Superman. Excuse me. So that when, you know, Superman was there with his buddy Batman and his Bruce Wayne guys, same face, spit curl. Couple, couple only, of clones. That's all you knew, because, you know, artists drew one face in those days. Um so you know, I just I love the sh- I love the stories, but they were goofy stories. Joker just wanted to steal some crap. You know, he he wasn't a homicidal killer. He didn't like to make people laugh themselves to death with his special venom or you know anything like that. It was it was uh, it was just he wanted
2: to steal the biggest version of anything. You know, were you drawn to the darker stuff? Did you want darker stories?
0: When those when those comic books came about, I mean, I guess I aged. Into them, you know. When I was an innocent little kid, the innocent stories worked for me. When I saw how dark... You know what brought me back, as with so many, was the, was Miller's uh, 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 Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, when that thing came out, I went, oh, my God, this is what it was supposed to be. Look at this. This is some dark stuff. You know, and I would sit there, uh, you know, outside my comic book store waiting. You know, I'd be on the road. I was a comedian at the time, and I would just... If I knew that a new edition of of uh, dark knight was coming out because it was a, i think it was a three part or four part uh series when it was first released as as comic books i would find the local comic book store and wait you know and just get there as soon as they opened so uh it was uh it was it was really a a big reintroduction
2: to the darkness of batman
0: i mean you could hear the bones crunch you know, when yeah. you read when you read at Miller's uh, Dark Knight,
2: even his stature, like the way he probably moved, huge, you was imagine huge. he was just I mean, huge and wide,
0: massive guy. You know, even even his Bruce Wayne with the mustache, he still, after years of you know giving up Batman and you know being a little too into red wine, he still could take on. You know, those three guys were scared just of how how physically imposing Bruce Wayne was. Yeah, you know, with his little mustache and his you know, pecs from
2: from hell. He was shaped like George Costanza on steroids (laughs) (laughs) today. Just like really squat, but like I tell you, Jerry, I'm going to beat him up. (laughs) I don't think you got it in you, George.
0: I can beat him up, Jerry. I got steroids.
2: I would watch this show, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So were you watching Batman the Animated Series when it came out, or was it too much like work to watch those kinds of cartoons?
0: No, I would watch. I would watch. I'd watch the, you know, I watched the pretty much the afternoon block of of stuff on uh, on first on Fox and then on on Kids WB, and uh, I absolutely would turn in. I wouldn't watch it every single day, but I wouldn't watch every single Pinky in the Brain. There's still Pinky Pinky in the brains that I I, I haven't seen. I'm I'm actually more comfortable watching stuff I'm not in than stuff I'm in, you know. So uh, I, I would check out quite a few of those Batman's, and they were great, you know. They they went for that Fleischer-esque look, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that they did with Superman. They just kind of went back and went, wouldn't it have been great? What if Max Fleischer had done Batman in the 1930s? And that's the thing had a very Art Deco uh, look to it, and it, was, uh, it had a, bu- a beautiful tone. And, you know, Kevin Conroy, come on. He's still most people's Batman. I mean, we hear that at conventions. <laughs> if I'm with Kevin at a convention, they'll say, you know, you're the Batman I grew up on. Not, not, you know, not, not, not necessarily Keaton or, or, or Kilmer or Clooney or. well, Listen, they gave they gave it a yeoman's try, but you know, <laughs> of, of those three, Keaton's the
2: only one I would really. That's doff, too bad. Clooney, hatch- Clooney will never work in this business. Yeah, again. he
0: really blew it.
2: That that. that <laughs> I heard a story that he peed in the bat suit while they were filming. Really? Uh, look it up on Wikipedia. Maybe we will never Wikipedia. know how fact check we, we, that. We, uh, uh, <laughs> It's a source we can all trust. Um, wow,
0: peed the bat suit. Yeah, in.
2: I guess he was so furious while they were filming, and then like it was so hard for him to get out of the suit that he just peed himself during that. Which I love as an image. It's like George Clooney, one of the most successful actors, is peeing a Batman suit.
0: And then Arnold comes and goes. Watch out for yellow ice, Batman.
2: <laughs> Speaking of Mister Freeze, you played Mister Freeze in, in uh, the Arkham games. In the
0: uh, yes. Yes, I did, and uh,
2: the first note they gave me was "Stay away from the
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger take." <laughs> Whatever you do, we don't want anything resembling Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, they didn't tell me to imitate Michael and Sarah, but they said honor honor his take on the character. That's he's emotionless except when talking about his wife. He's 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 a rather. As they said, chilling. Try to bring that chill to his voice.
2: And for listeners, Michael Ansara is the man who voiced Mr. Freeze he was in the
0: animated series. Freeze in Batman the animated series. And a wonderful actor, uh, also uh, known uh, somewhat for his Star Trek. Uh, he played a Klingon in Star Trek. Both the He brought back that character for, I believe, Next Generation. And um, I can't remember whether he was Kang or... Let's look that up, shall we?
2: Oh, yes. We have the internet at our fingertips. You
0: do. Each of us carries a supercomputer in our pockets that has access to more information and more processing speed than the one that sent men to the moon. Isn't that fascinating? That's insane. It's crazy, man just crazy let's see bur, 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 michael bur, 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 bur. and Sarah bur,
2: bur, 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 bur. proud to say bur, a fellow bur, 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 bur.
0: A, a, fe- a fellow uh, Lebanese actor oh Syrian I'm sorry Syrian I'm half Lebanese on my mother's side oh cool yes yes indeed I don't know how fashionable that is to admit uh, in, Well, of course it is um very fashionable very fashionable indeed but I I you know I'm uh, I'm like two generations removed from the old country I'm just I just up with a lot of falafels and kibbe and that type of thing. Let's see where. Let's go back. What was his Star Trek character's name? His name was. He was in Shaft. Oh my God! He was in the TV series of Shaft. Really, Sergeant Duff? Yes. Mister Freeze was Sergeant Duff. Mister Freeze was Sergeant Duff. He was see, also a Police thing. Surgeon, which was, uh, I believe, filmed in my hometown of Toronto. Let's see. Oh, this man, this guy, really had a, a, a CV. He was uh, he was in uh, "I Dream of Genie." It takes a thief, beautiful baby. <laughs>
2: I want to hear our voice. He was Kang. He Kang. was Kang. Kang. So we searched to find out that you were in fact correct on the first guess. Yes,
0: I, I was correct on the first guest uh, guess, as I often am, and you were correct on the first guest. Me. <laughs> um, so, so Michael and Sarah's take was, you know, very flat and in, in the good way because he was still able to move while being flat. And and I think I I got a little more emotional with the character. Um but uh, you know, I was he was not well at that time and couldn't
2: step into the character. So um well with the, a role like that where you are sort of at least imitating the tone to some extent, how do you approach that? Like how do you bring yourself to it but also honor what the director is asking of you?
0: Well, the good news was I I didn't go and freshly listen to Michael. They just, I remembered it. And I hadn't watched an episode of, uh, especially a freeze episode of of animated series in quite a while. So I simply simply went to a, what I remembered of it was that it was very flat. And you are in my world now, Batman. Mm -hmm. You will bring me Nora or you will die. You know, so it was just sort of just under the surface everything's under the surface Mm -hmm. there's emotion there but his greatest he's he's like a sociopath who has one tie most sociopaths don't don't really connect to anything they have no no emotional attachment to anything he is attached to his wife so but he will in that sociopathic way do absolutely anything to cure her so other people's lives don't matter to him just norris you know, and it's tough to play that, but uh, you play the nobility of trying to save the 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 woman he loves, you know, and everybody else's collateral damage because she's valued beyond all. Um, he's a tragic figure because he wouldn't be in this position uh, if it weren't for uh, the 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 industrialist who who caused his accident. But he truly loves his wife and. Uh, you know that's that's the part that we connect with and
2: you know. what i love is that like we can thank paul Dini for that version of the character yeah he was a goofball with an ice gun beforehand
0: that's true that's <laughs> true he was auto premature going wild
2: <laughs> wild uh so how much when you when you approach a role like how much Pre work, do you do? Uh, are there moment? Are there times where, like, you do a lot of like digging into the character, and then are there others where you just kind of step in and, are like, okay, this is the guy.
0: An actor prepares. Yeah. How much of that? Unfortunately, is there? I'm not an actor. I'm a stand-up comedian who lucked out. Um, I don't do a lot of prep work. When I first walk in, I wait for. I really wait for inspiration. What I really want to see is a model sheet, if I possibly can, um, and 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 just kind of let the thing infect me, as it were. So you, know, you
2: want that, like, that one moment that you can't yeah, really manufacture, yeah. that, like, when you see that character design, you're like, aha,
0: I got the guy. Or I don't, but... What do you do when you don't? I think I do, but I just don't.
2: <laughs> you know,
0: I mean, it's not like I don't... There's always something that happens. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just more successful than others, and and... You know, like, to go back to Pinky and the Brain. When I saw that model sheet of Brain, and he his model did not change through the entire, from inception all the way through, I saw Orson Wells. I looked, I thought, oh, they've made me an Orson Wells lab mouse, because everybody knows I do this, you know, if there was any dead space in the room, uh, I would do the Orson Wells frozen peas outtake tape. I just knew it from start to finish, from listening to it in my car for so many years. So I thought, oh, this is an Orson Wells take on this lab mouse, they've created this for me. Isn't that nice of them? Ah, <laughs> that's so sweet. Okay, I'll give them the Orson Wells. So it was like the pure hubris of thinking that anybody would go out of their way to make me a character. And so when I did Orson Wells, that that cinched the deal apparently. And we recorded it, we we auditioned that in the morning and I think they just stopped looking for them after me. I mean the I think Andrea Romano if i'm if memory serves and it's not just my ego embellishing it she told me i was the first and last actor to read for the brain and and so you know it's in pretty case incredible like that, coming from
1: her too yeah
0: yeah she's she doesn't she's no slouch <laughs> she's, yeah she is not not a not not given to wild exaggerations um so i just saw him and went come pinky we must take over the world you know, and it just it just seemed like Wells fit. So, um, you know, very often I'll I'll wait for that moment to happen with other characters. But with Freeze, you know, they showed me the tech, they showed me the suit, and they said, you know, kind of honor what Michael and Sarah did. Because I actually did, not my original take, when I went in, was a very, this sort of thing. You are in my world now, Batman. I thought, what if the man's vocal cords had been completely frozen? Mm. That was my first take on the character. And then when they redirected me, uh to the take. i tried to retain a little of that guy so i think i brought a little more anger into it you know as i said just under the surface and 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 anything that would thwart his plan to save his wife
2: is is the recipient of that anger any one too how many times do you think you've voiced an orson wells type character because i feel like i've heard it many times <laughs> Are you the Orson Welles guy?
0: I I don't know if I'm the Orson Welles guy, but I <laughs> I think I I'm the first person quite a few people think of.
2: Um I mean, you're the guy that I think of.
0: Well, I've done it for um uh the the uh uh Tim Burton movie about about, about oh, uh, Ed Wood. Yeah. You know the Tim Burton movie about Ed Wood? Oh, it you called? Know. Oh, Ed Wood. Called Ed Wood. Ed yeah. Wood. Wood Ed? He Ed Wood. Anyway, Vincent D'Onofrio played him on camera, but he made an interesting choice with the voice and i'm one of the few people that heard it because they sent me the dailies so i could practice because they wanted me to you know hit the mouth movements and lip flaps exactly when we did the session the next day because they were flying me up to san francisco to be directed by tim burton for this scene and uh so i watched it and 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 he you know whereas what i did with the voice was the standard orson welles How do you do, Ed? I'm Orson Welles. You know, Ed, dreams are worth fighting for. They want Charlton Heston to play a Mexican. You know, Vincent did this. He went, How do you do, Ed? I'm Orson Welles. They want Charlton Heston to play a Mexican. Dreams are worth fighting for. Which is an interesting choice in a way of, like, going away from the standard Wells. But but Burton ultimately wanted that thing to be, I think, just... Like oh my gosh where'd they get this guy? He looks like him. He sounds like him. So it took you know two actors to do that I guess. Oh it was
2: incredible. I yeah. mean I remember seeing Ed Wood and we were nerding out because we were like that's the brain.
0: <laughs> well they 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 lit him so beautifully too. I mean the lighting I I was blown away. I, didn't, I mean didn't look like the guy from from Law and Order. This was holy shit. Where'd they get this? I thought maybe for a second there they'd done a, they'd perfected CGI which now they have perfected CGI so well. But well at the time, they yeah. Could, they could actually reconstruct Wells's face and I could just do the voice, which would be wonderful. Um, I, th- I think I'm pitching a movie right now. It's called C.G. Wells. C.G. Wells. Forget H.G. Wells, this is the new thing. Yeah, C.G. Cre-
2: Wells. <laughs> uh, so why don't we back up and talk a little bit about how you got your start. So you, you were talking about, uh, you're from Canada, you're from Toronto. I
0: am originally from Toronto, although, I, yes, I was, I was raised in a little town called Timmins Ontario. A oh. quaint little town full of miners and lumberjacks. Um it's, it's far more industrial now but when I was growing up there it was it was very very those were the two industries you either worked in the gold mines or you worked you know in the lumberyard.
2: You're a miner a lumberjack or a miner jack. That's right, a miner jack.
0: <laughs> As opposed to a major jack, and everybody up there was very French and talked like this. Eh, <laughs> and way, everything was way or no? You know, uh, I didn't pick up any French while, while I was there. I, I mean, I left when I was four, but um, I do have memories of the cold. Oh my God, it was the coldest damn place you've ever been. You it have that body is.
2: sense memory. Oh
0: my God, I mean, I you, you'd go outside in a you know in a in a snowsuit, you, you couldn't bend anything. You just kind of waddle like a gingerbread man and then you know <laughs> fall and make snow angels face down it was it was a cold cold place but it was the first place that I was introduced to microphones cuz my father was a local newscaster up there at the CFCL and um it was that was the the tiny you know 3 watt station that they had up there and so I would I went in to the the station and there's a picture of me Sitting at the microphone, I'm three years old, and my grandmother writes, our future radio announcer. And it's sort of funny that she had that, because a lot of stuff I do did, uh, does end up on yeah. the radio. Um, I do I do a tremendous amount of commercials for a certain car brand. And
2: um, I could say it, Lexus.
0: Yes. And, um, you know, so it's sort of funny that uh, that, that was a little prescient of
2: of, of of Nana. Was your family supportive of, like, any sort of artistic pursuit?
0: my father was because as a as a broadcaster he also there's i you know there's this little trove of pictures uh you know he was in a theatrical troupe when he was in uh, catholic boys school so the boys had to play girls so there's a picture of my father with a little tiny mustache in a wedding gown but <laughs> so he pursued a little acting when he was younger and and then the radio career he actually did some television in ottawa where where he was doing little news on camera news and game show hosting But he was the French version of the two English-speaking broadcasters of the same station. So there was CBC English and CBC Radio Canada, which was the French side. So the two English guys who took the news hour and the bingo game and all that were Alex Trebek and Peter Jennings. And then my father did their shows, you know, both, both of their work in French. And
2: uh, so he's twice the man that they. He's twice they were. the man that
0: Trebek <laughs> is. No, I'm
2: kidding, Alec. If you're listening, sorry. He's uh, a big fan of Batman: The Animated Podcast. I bet he is. <laughs> That's all he's listening to.
0: Um. So I actually know his daughter though. That's the oh really? Point. Yeah.
2: What is Batman: The Animated Podcast? No. Uh.
0: Yeah. Maybe she listens. Uh. Nikki. So, at any rate, uh, he so having and then like he, he left. He just went. I can't make any money in this. This is not. You know and and he got into investments in the stock market and that's a whole other thing but um but he was supportive and one thing he said to me early on when i first started dabbling in stand up comedy he told me he said you know you're not a work a day guy you're not the kind of guy that's going to be able to go to an office and listen to a boss and fill out reports you will be happier following whatever dream you have and i want you to do that i want you to you know don't be a don't be a joe he said follow you've got a talent go for it and i think a lot of a lot of parents uh you know i hear it you know for decades the parents did not give them that message they said have a fallback plan have something else you can do my dad said if you have a fallback plan you're going to take it so just do this just do this all the way and make sure it's make sure you you know shoot for the brass ring and that way if you you know Hit the lead ring, you still did okay.
2: <laughs> it's a pretty rare and incredible philosophy. Yeah, for a but parent. having,
0: ha- I think, I think he he was in touch with his own regret about not pursuing an artistic career, and and my son now is twenty one, and he is uh, his passion is music. You know, he's a guitarist and a singer, and uh, even a, he's actually a very good bassist as well. And all he wants to do is music. So I give him the same message, you know, just go for this. Go for it. And I'll support it in any way that I can. And uh, just know that it's, you know, not a, everything's going to fall in your lap. But do it because you don't want to be on your deathbed wondering, what if I'd gone for it as a musician? What if I'd gone for it as a comedian, as an actor? You know, so uh, I, I always thank him for that. My mother, on the other hand, wrung her hands. She was always very proud, you know, to go down to the comedy club in Toronto, this place Yuck Yucks, where... Jim Carrey started out, and Howie Mandel started out, and 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 uh, Nor Macdonald was a uh, was his where he was birthed, uh, comedically. Um, and she would love to go down and see the show, but she had that parental worry that things weren't going to be okay for her little boy in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, but so far things have worked out.
2: Yeah, I'd say so. At some point, you transitioned kind of from doing stand-up and and comedy into like full-on voice acting yes uh, what was that point what 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 well, triggered the switch well
0: unfortunately I mean there was you know thank, thank goodness for Marsha Goodman I, we, we discussed her before we started recording uh, Marsha Goodman saw something in me I was, I was doing stand up at the comedy store and around about 1984 this woman Nina Nissenholtz from the William Morris agency who had just more or less created the voiceover department was in the audience and because I was with them for stand up comedy and I had an agent named Aaron Cohen, who was her best friend. And Aaron, God rest his soul, he was one of the first uh, casualties of the AIDS crisis back in the 80s. Um, and uh, so Aaron brought uh, Nina down. Nina took one look at me, heard my act with its, you know, 40 impressions in, in five minutes and said, you know, you can turn that into a voiceover career. And I said, well, I always I'd been told that was a closed door, but all right, if you... Think I got it? I'll go out on auditions, sure. You know, and I was lucky; I still had stand-up comedy. So, if you know, if I didn't get whatever she was sending me, and she was having me in like once and twice a week, and I wasn't booking anything, but because I wasn't, you know, just focused on that and going, "Oh, I really need this job," you know, I was just like, "Okay, all right," and and I'd forget about it, and I just you know go do my gig on the weekend uh, if I was touring with Rodney Dangerfield or you know doing. In a comedy club out of town. And it took a year before I got my first job. But that first job was Inspector Gadget. And it was Marsha who not only came down and saw me at this comedy store with Nina, but also had me in, you know, to record. She made me the chief. She then put me in Ghostbusters.
2: Yeah, you were Egon?
0: I was Dr. Egon Spengler. I collect spores, mold, and fungus. And then into Dennis the Menace, where I got to meet and work with Phil Hartman. What was that like? Oh, uh, yeah, he's great. You know, I mean, he was just a terrific guy. I didn't know any of his work. I was not a Groundlings uh, 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 person. I did not, I, I only, you know, I spent so much time in stand-up comedy. I didn't, and this is where I, this is a regret of mine. I wish I'd investigated more improv and sketch comedy in my early days. And, you know, uh, so I'd, I only knew him as a voiceover artist. And so we were doing, we were doing uh, Dennis the Menace, where he was doing uh, Mr. Wilson and and Dennis's father, and then one day he comes in and says, uh, "I got Saturday Night live and I said, "Oh, you're kidding oh and I was like, I was like going, How do you go from voiceover actor to, to to saturday night live and i I didn't know he was a groundling, you know so i was you know i i was i was I was thrilled for him, but I also wanted to know the roadmap to that because that's kind of what I had wanted in my stand up comedy days um you know, so that said, Phil." Goes on, and I take over his parts because if I sit next to you, I can kind of absorb you. I'm kind of there's almost a Siler esque kind of thing that happens.
2: Siler from Heroes. Siler from Heroes. Who you did the voice for in Boy, the beginning? Boy, you really
0: have done your homework. Well, yeah, it's true. I was the, I was the vocal Siler in episode two. Uh, but Jeff Loeb, who's been a friend for, for decades, uh, you know, he said, sorry, we're going to go young with this character, but your voice is what we need right now. It's, we need a Spacey-esque kind of thing. He said, if Kevin Spacey were were this character, what would you do? And I didn't do a Spacey impression because he definitely didn't want me to do that, but I went to like this sort of dark, but yet somewhat friendly, charming place for for Siler's voice. But at any rate, um, yeah, I had absorbed Phil's characters, and so I took over Wilson and, and um, Mr. Mitchell, uh, for the rest of the series.
2: How does that work? Uh, and I, I don't know if there's anything quantifiable or maybe you're just like, I'm really good at it. But how do you imitate people so well? Or how, how is it that you sponge it up?
0: Now, see, you've asked the million dollar question because the how of it is, is the one thing I don't know. The, or rather, the why of it isn't, is, is what I don't know. I don't know why I can do it. Uh, some people can, some people can't. Most people can't. Um, I think it's got to do with, like, the language centers of my brain. They just I just never stopped listening and trying to imitate. We all learn everything we learn uh, about speaking and communicating as children, you know, comes from imitation. And I think as some, just at some point we turn it off,
2: as we've, we do with a lot of things that we learn as we, children, yeah. which is and silly. I just,
0: <laughs> I just always exactly. I mean, children are learning machines. They are, you know, they they absorb. They're sponges, and we turn off our sponginess, and I don't know why. But I I just love. I've always loved the way. The, the different things that can come from the human voice, because person to person, vocal cords just look like vocal cords. You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, scans of vocal cords. I even asked my my doctor a couple of years ago. He, you know, ran a camera down there to see if everything was okay. I I asked him afterwards. I said, "So, do my vocal cords look different than other people's vocal cords? I mean, they are they Kryptonian and you know, they, are they green? <laughs> do they glow?
2: You're not. Do human. I have some
0: kind of yeah, exactly? Do I have some kind of ve- no? They're just vocal cords. So I don't know. I just know what to do to, to to do things with vocal tensions. And there's a lot that goes on with, the uh, you know, just the whole structure of the throat and the mouth and the, the sinuses. And, you know, I mean, it's just like I, I just... Doing different things with your jaw can change the timbre of your voice.
2: Now, do you ever practice, or at one point did you, like, were you looking in a mirror and like, okay, if I do this with my face or my jaw, then this affects No, I always area.
0: worked more with, I always just worked more from instinct than I, and uh-huh. I just worked, I was not, like Jim Carrey mm-hmm. worked in front of a mirror forever when he was, when he was doing impressions. And I'm, you know, I've known Jim since he's 15 years old. So, but Jim would work tirelessly until he got the face exactly right that was the brilliance of him as a mimic was that he didn't just do bruce stern's voice he could elongate his face almost like a don martin cartoon and and you know and make his mouth really small and low and pouty the way bruce stern so he'd be like this you know and and this is uncle brucey speaking (laughs) and i can't do it anywhere near as well as 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 jim did but that was Jim's genius, was that he worked on the entire physicality. I was always, I had one or two voices that I did where I I, I, I assumed their their persona, you know, their 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 physical persona. Um, Peter Falk, which was one of the first impressions I ever did. Now, today, you guys can't see me. I'm in a big, almost Orson Wellesian beard. My hair has gotten long. But when I'm clean shaven, it goes over a little better. I cock one eye in and I go, Excuse me, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, That, uh, but... Uh, these shoes that you're wearing, you know i get a pair that look like that for about $20. I'm on a policeman's <laughs> salary.
2: That was a good talk. Uh, I, I'm you. sure you know that. <laughs> yeah, as you wish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for the younger people. That's right, Princess Bride. Actually, all those younger people are now 40. So um, so anyway, I uh, that's that's kind of how I do it. So I work more just orally and just what sounds right to me.
2: So you got into voiceover kind of... Uh, Marsha Goodman gave you kind of like your first big gig.
0: My first like five big gigs. She yeah. just kept putting me in everything. And, you know, she was my champion. And, and I truly owe her my whole career.
2: She's a very kind, wonderful I human know being. you know her. I know you've... you've yeah, I just me, worked it, with her. I mean, I'm working with her a little bit right now on a yeah. show. And it's amazing. She's just t- tremendous. And, uh, you
0: know, she... she took up the cause of let's give Maurice LaMarche a start in the business. Uh, you know, I mean, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I hope, I, I think I came through on my end, did my part and was, was a decent enough actor for it. But, um, you know, Ghostbusters, we did 106 episodes of Ghostbusters and then, uh, uh into Dennis the Menace and then into the wonderful world of Tex Avery. And then I started getting work with other studios, you know? So, uh, you know, it's it's integral to have someone who who takes you on. And yeah, it feels
2: really difficult. At least from somebody in my position, it's like, man, like I go out a lot, but it is hard to book stuff. It uh, can
0: be, but then, but then you, if you keep giving, it's, it's, this is an old Dwayne Hickman thing. If you keep giving them you till you is what they want, you'll have your day in the sun, and that's, that's good for anything, yeah. any
2: sort of artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm but i feel like it takes a while to learn that like uh... it does
0: but and 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 i'm uh, you know to say it sounds hypocritical for a mimic to say it but really everything everything i do and everything i bring to it is still this st- still informed by me you know and I, it's me walking into the studio it's not it's not you know egon uh, so i am giving them me until me is what they want and then we filter me through what i think egon egon spengler would be i get i get a lot of people saying to me and I no disrespect to Harold's memory but when I do these comic cons I get meet hundreds of people in a given weekend who say to me you're the Egon I grew up with sure and you know Harold did two movies and you did 106 episodes so to me you're Egon and I I don't I they say that in response to me you know giving Harold his due because he's the template he's who I you know, did my Egon based on. I was the only one allowed to get away with an impression. I mean, I went into that audition and Michael Gross and Joe Medjic said, no mim- no mimicry, no impressions. Don't do the people from the movie. So I got in the studio and looked at this sketch of Harold Ramis, uh, of, of Egon, and they had made him blonde and they'd put that weird Twinkie in the middle of his head. Yeah. Or a ho-ho. I guess it looked more like a, a, a vanilla ho-ho. But anyway, I looked at it and I went, I got nothing except Ramus. Shit. So I started reading, and just Ramus came out, and I thought I'd completely, you know, screwed the pooch on that audition. And when they gave it to me, uh, Michael said, "When we heard your Ramus, we alright, he can do the guy from the movie. Nobody else gets to it.' <laughs> so it was, it was kind of fun. Um, but I mean, I do something like that, and uh, it's still, it's still me. It's not Harold. It's me. So." That's I my encouragement to you is just keep plugging, man. Plus you got this. Yeah. <laughs> you got the podcasting world, which is the hottest thing in the world. I can't I can't think of a podcast to do. If I could, I'd 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 do one.
2: But hey, if you ever want to do a podcast, let me know. Okay.
0: <laughs> You'll be on my
2: podcast. Oh yeah, great. Yeah. I'll talk about my no career. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm
0: just getting into podcasting now though, so I'm I'm totally digging the fact that I'm here with you. I mean I just like listening to them. I'm like now that's all I listen to. And it used to be like I'd only listen to to jazz. Now I'm like it's like I got no time for anything else and then talk radio. But now it's like it's all podcasting.
2: There's all so the much good stuff. There's so and across much the board different. so many different topics. If you've got an interest, there's a podcast yeah. for it. It's yeah. If I'm doing laundry or driving a car, I'm listening to a podcast.
0: Walking is fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I walk my dogs much longer. My dogs are exhausted, and I'm still listening to the James Bonding podcast. It's not over yet. Ooh, you Matt Gorley,
2: what a great human. Oh, uh, I
0: love those guys.
2: He, uh, I met him, he did, uh, you know, when I was in college, he was teaching theater. And he mm-hmm. came, and we had an improv group, and he taught us uh, improvised Shakespeare. Oh, wow. And so I've known him since then, and he's... Truly one of the nicest human beings. I,
0: they both sound like they're incredibly nice guys. I don't know that very so well. Knowledge, and so knowledgeable about James Bond. In fact, I've got a fantasy where they let me come in. The one Bond movie they haven't covered is uh, the, the spoof Casino Royale from 1967. They've covered everything else. And I thought, if I could just go in, because I know that movie backwards and forwards. If you want to talk about uh, you know geekness, uh, I mean, I love Batman, but I watched that movie... And then I saw it in the theaters. Record, and then I recorded it when it was on TV. And when I say record, we're talking about 1968, 69. I meant I have a cassette recorder, and I'm, I'm holding the microphone next to the television until my arm falls asleep. Because I loved Woody Allen. I loved this new guy that played Le Chiffre, this new guy to me at 11 years old, Orson Welles. And the first thing that, you know, I mean, I... I learned Orson Welles off the outtake tape, but at 11 years old, when I heard him going, I'm going to have to have that check, Mr. Bond. I'm going to have to have that check, Mr. Bond. I was like, oh, that's a great voice, even at 11 <laughs> years old. And plus, Dahlia Dal- Dal- Levy was in a tremendous crush on Israeli actress Dahlia Lovie. <laughs> um, well, so, coming out? Yeah. I would love... <laughs> this is a family broadcast. We can't talk about
2: that. <laughs>
0: anyway, um, I, loved, I loved that movie. So... Uh, Yes. Gourley, yeah. Myra,
2: get him in there. Get me
0: in there. I'm I tell you I can talk about I can talk about Casino Royale. I can do it. So um, you
2: you've I mean, you've been on man, so many you you've done so much comedy. You're one of my favorite like I would say comedians. <laughs> wow, thank uh, you. I mean, across the board like incredible. Like you've been on so many different at least iconic and influential shows for me. Uh, oh, like your thank performances you. it's one of those things where like as a kid you you don't quite track it. And then later you're like, well, here are all the things that I liked. Who is a constant in this sort of thing? But like, you've been on The Simpsons and Futurama as well. Like, yeah, you're a, you're a man who like I feel like transcends like a type of show.
0: Thank you, thank you. I've been very lucky. I, I mean, what I've gotten, where I feel my greatest luck has been in, is that that I've gotten to do such good, perform such good writing. You know, the the Warner Brothers animation stuff, terrific writing. The 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 critic, terrific writing, great. Sp- Great satire, and yet also a great character. I, I just feel like Jay Sherman. You know, in the context of the show, he never got his due, and and in the world, in the real world, our world, he never got his due. I th- felt he was a great character. John Lovitz made him so layered, and and you know, arrogant yet lovable, and. You know, it was just—it was just one of those things. We just—it was just a bit of a failure to launch. We only got two seasons. It's
2: just of timing it. too, with yeah. a lot of
0: this kind of stuff. But I mean, what what an exercise that was for for a guy like me to now. That's one thing where they said, "Okay, we need Harvey Keitel in yeah. the pianist." You know, and it was like we didn't have YouTube in those days. Now, if I'm doing doing something for The Simpsons where they call me and say we need Charlie Sheen, I'll just call up a scene from Two and a Half on my iPhone, and while I'm waiting for you know nancy to finish her lines i'll be out there in the in the green room just listening to charlie sheen and 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 then and then go in and do it and don't ask me to do it now because i need to put him back between my ears (laughs) but but with um with the critic i mean we on the lunch break i ran down to uh the century city theaters and (laughs) paid to go in and watch the pianist (laughs) and just listen repeat repeated after him and like couldn't let the voice fall out of my head so i drive back with no you know just silence and they knew and like i came back and they didn't talk to me it was so funny they just they everything was like direction they directed me to the mic and i read like the two lines that harvey keitel had you know in our pianist parody and um so that was that was that was working on uh, that was working
2: on on the critic. They well, this is him. like nerding out a little bit, but there's something online that said you voiced 29 characters in a 30 minute episode of The Critic.
0: That is true, uh, but they cut it down to I think 27 or 26. A the, the, the couple of them didn't actually make the cut.
2: Oh, never mind. It's not
0: impressive. It's anymore. not that impressive. But at that time, I broke Harry Shearer's record because apparently he'd done 27 in an episode <laughs> of The Simpsons. It was easy. It was easy to do because. There were this, A lot of these were you know, street characters, a hot dog vendor, a valet parking guy, where well, they weren't all celebrity impressions. But, you know, so, you know, one in two lines. So, you know, it's conceivable that not everything took one minute and filled up every part of the show. But at the end of it, I just went, wow, that was uh, quite a paycheck. That's good.
2: <laughs> What's it like stepping into that one of those rooms, like The Simpsons or something like that? Like, are you recording together, or do they bring you in on your own? Sometimes
0: we record together. Sometimes they pick me up on my own. The the episode, uh, um, What Animated Women Really Want, which is just a couple seasons ago now, I actually got, for the first time, to record actually interactive scenes with Homer and Marge, with, with, with uh, Dan and Julie. And that was really cool, because it was just the three of us. In the, and I played a sushi chef who's based actually on a real-life chef here in town who is so meticulous. They used to call him in his day the sushi Nazi. His name <laughs> is Kazunuri Nozawa. And he had a little sushi bar in Studio City where you lined up, there was always a line. You sat down. You ate what he served you. And the place was, was very ordinary. I mean, it was only, I'm boarded on almost being a dump. But the food was orgasmically good. It was amazing. And now, now he's retired, but he's opened these things called Sugarfish. And the food is like, 99% there. It's just it doesn't have quite his genius of cutting yet. But, Because but, when Nozawa cut a piece of fish, it looked like a glass sculpture. Huh. He'd been doing it 42 years. So anyway, we based this character... And Matt Groening, we would go there to eat together. Huge. Matt Groening's a huge um, fan of, of good food. So um, anyway, we, we he actually threatened to do a, a character based on, on on Nozawa. And like two years later, out comes this episode... And he said, you got to play Nozawa. So they called him Naziwa, Nazi-wa, <laughs> Chef Naziwa. So I've got to play this sushi chef who gives them sage advice about their marriage. And I'm watching them talk to each other. And they play. It's truly, you know, they, they they have a real relationship with each other. And we're used to the animated Homer and Marge. But if you watch Julie and Dan, it's like they're married. <laughs> You know, and you you know, yeah, it's they've like, done it long enough. It's like the animated the animated characters kind of stand behind them, but you're watching Julie and Dan and going, "I believe these two people as married people too." You know, the the work is there, and they, as you say, they've been doing it the the ten thousand hours or more, and they're phenomenal.
2: They're well, just I wish I, I I've seen some of Julie on screen, and she's amazing. I yeah. wish there was more of that. Yeah, uh, not that I I mean I love her as a voice actress, but I mean it's just. She's in a Woody Allen film. Oh, yeah. And she's she thrilled. was... She's, she's never allowed
0: to... herself to be filmed doing the, 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 the Marge voice, though. Really? Yeah. Doesn't um, want to break the magic? Doesn't or... want to break the magic. But I, as getting to stand there and watch them play it, I became that fan. And I was like, I had that after 30 years in the business. I had that holy crap moment where I just went, I'm standing here with Marge and, and Homer. I mean, I look at these two people. How did I get to be here? I felt so just so blessed in that moment to be part of that, you know? And uh, so, yeah, that's that's cool. Futurama was a f- oh, super yeah. cool working experience. I mean, everybody in that cast was is is genius, and and we had scientific and comedy geniuses writing the thing. So I've been so lucky to be part of this. Tress McNeil is to me like she's the you know, she's the. Yeah, I, I won't even say, you know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, she's the, the the funniest woman voice actor. No, 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 no. She's the funniest voice actor.
2: I don't care man or woman. She's just everything she touches turns to comedy. She's another person who I'd go back and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right? You are what I imagine when I want this kind of character. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And she's your whole childhood.
0: We're finally getting her out on the Comic-Con circuit and, you know, because she's a bit of a recluse and she has really been moved by how many people come up to her and tell her, you changed my childhood. You were my safe haven. If If I was depressed, I came home, you know, got bullied or whatever and watched Animaniacs and Dot and all of a sudden the world was okay again. You can't buy that. I mean, you know, and you don't know you're doing that. When you're doing a show, you're in a, a room much like this, like much like this studio, and you're reading the lines and you're in it and you're having fun with your fellow actors and you're, you're cracking up the director, you hope. But you don't know that it, you forget it's going to go out to millions of people. And some of those people's lives are going to, you know, be made just a teeny bit better by the laugh you bring them after
2: school. Yeah. You know? Well, on pre-internet, I feel like you know people didn't know voice actors as well. True, uh, but it feels like now there's like a rabid you know fan base. I, I've
0: I've been I've I've actually been stopped in a coffee shop or or uh, at, at the Apple Store. And with people visually recognizing my face, which is never seen.
2: Do you like that, or do you not like it? Are you like, oh no, I've been it's what found. I had
0: always hoped for when I was a stand-up comic. I mean, <laughs> I had the same ambitions as a lot of people. I just wanted the attention I never got as a child. So you know, when I'd see one or two of my friends go on to international fame, uh, you know, I, there was a part of me that I'll admit was was envious, and, and I'd go, well, "Why isn't that going to happen for me? I well, want sir, you're total a human st- being. <laughs> I want total strangers to worship me too. <laughs> you know." there's my own, my inner homer coming out but uh it you know it's it so it's a little it's gratifying and yet i'm also glad it doesn't happen all the time because i've got celebrity friends i've had dinner with them it's annoying <laughs> yeah you
2: want that sweet spot where yeah. it's like enough people like well, you it's but also while, you know, yeah you can yeah. live a normal human life i can turn life. it
0: off when i leave a comic con at a comic con it happens all the time, every five feet.
2: But then it's like a concentrated experience, and right? You're like great <laughs> of just
0: people who who are, know exactly what I do. I got and my then, fill of it, <laughs> and then I leave, and the gas station attendant halfway home doesn't recognize me, and I go, okay, it's the real world
2: again. I feel like that's the perfect. You've hit the sweet spot. That's the maybe perfect so. Life.
0: <laughs> I may actually have it better than than, than anybody I know. I, it's beautiful, and and it's it's just. It's just it's it's normal. There's a normalcy to it, and yet it's still kind of wacky. I have a job, but it involves being other people and changing my voice and my my entire presentation of myself and becoming other people. And yet it doesn't it doesn't take over. You yeah. know, it's a it's a neat life. I've been very very blessed, and c- certainly there's there's a very nice living in it.
2: Well. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about?
0: Well, do we cover enough Batman? Because I know this is a Batman pod, animated podcast. So did we talk enough about the experience? I'll just say that it was. Uh, I was so gratified to work with Mark, to to actually have Mark kill me, <laughs> <laughs> to work with my old friend Begley, and and uh, you know to uh, to kind of hopefully do Andrea Romano proud because I know she thought of me for the longest time as, a, as just a yuckster, as a, as a comedic character. And to play it straight, you know, in, in that uh, that episode. I think I think I did her well. I gotta ask her one of these days. It was only what, twenty something years ago.
2: Something like that. Yep. <laughs> but yeah. I was very gratified to be part of the Batman universe. Well, yeah. thank you for being part of the Batman podcast Thanks, universe.
0: Justin. Thanks for having me.
2: Alrighty, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening to another Batman the Animated Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and leave a comment in iTunes. Even if you're one of those angry people who hates all the bits that I do in between interviews, I still like that you're listening. You can donate to keep the show going over at btaspodcast.com slash donate, or just send it via PayPal to the show email btaspodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at btas podcast and at Hey Justin. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Pat Jansen sound engineered the second interview. Thanks to DC Pearson and Maurice LaMarche, and an extra special thanks to previous guest Jake Goldman, who put me in touch with Maurice in the first place. Now, it's the new year, so I want to start things off right by thanking This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, Even though when I told him that I wanted to get Mark Hamill on the podcast, he told me, No one's that lucky or stupid. I'll prove you wrong, Tori. I'll get Hamill on this show. Probably not next week, but... 2016 is the year of the Hamill. Mark my words. Okay, guys. Well, with that insane promise out of the way, see you in two weeks for a brand new episode of Batman the Animated Podcast. Bye-bye.